everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I hope you're doing well. This show occurred the day after the terrible terrorist attacks in Brussels that left over 30 dead and over 100 wounded. The first two callers are people with direct connections to the events. The first ferociously intelligent and very passionate woman had two friends who died in the terrorist attacks, and we had some very long, very deep, and very powerful conversations. The second caller lives in Belgium and works at a nuclear power plant and, of course, had a pretty direct and vivid experience of the day, which he shared with us. And the third caller works in the government school system and is a union representative as well. And we had a conversation about working within the system versus bypassing the system as it stands. I'm going to forego my usual donation pitch. Let's get directly to the conversations. All right. Well, up first is Diana, and um, she has a personal connection to the Brussels terrorist attack. She doesn't live in Belgium, but uh, had a personal connection and wanted to call into the show. So welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you. Hello. Hi, Diana. How are things? Well, now we're good, I guess. Um, people stop. No, nobody's crying anymore. Um, but obviously people are mad. So good as are good things are as good as they can be in a situation like this. And what um, what was your experience of yesterday? How did you find out about it? Where were you? What happened? Uh, it was hell. Um, I met these people uh, six or seven months ago. And um, yesterday my mom yelled from her room that something happened at the airport. Uh, and I remember that I went there and I saw th- the news were not precise. They didn't have exact information. So uh, everyone is just kind of wondering the victims. And the fact is that I knew my friends were there. I knew they were supposed to take the plane. So it was, I I was hoping, obviously, that nothing happened. I was trying not to be negative. And um, after that, they established that there were more victims after they found out about the bombs at the metro. And uh, I tried to call them. We called the number that was being given to us by the embassy uh, until I finally uh, got their parents on the phone. And uh, they told me about one of them. They were not sure about the other one because the victim, victims were not yet. Um, they were not sure who the, who are the victims. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is a bit emotional. Um, no, no, don't worry. That's you're doing great. Keep going. And um, we just well, what could you do? You couldn't do anything except be mad and. You know, like, they were young, that's the thing. They were young, and they had all their lives ahead of them, but because this... I'm trying not to use mean words for this man. He just blew up, and they were there. They were actually pretty close, so it was a bit hard to identify one of them. But, yeah, I just... After five hours or so, it was clear that they were dead, and we just couldn't do anything. Uh, what bothered me the most is that uh, 
their parents are quite old, obviously, and they're not staying on Twitter to chat, obviously. So they asked me to go and check what happened. So I went to Twitter and I, I wrote Belgium or the name of the airport as fast as I could. And every single thing about that was either news reporting the incident or like bastards that were trying to, uh, they were just, I don't know, they were picking sides because that's how I see it. It's picking side the moment you say not everyone is guilty. No, I don't care if anyone is guilty or not. That's not going to bring my friends back and neither will your prayers. Oh, prayers for Belgium. I don't care about your prayers. I couldn't even see the tweets of the people that were there because there were a few people from what we understood uh, at the beginning that were tweeting about it and photos and videos and we couldn't because these bastards were clogging the um, tag so I don't know and these are the, these are the people who are immediately sort of jumping in saying don't judge all the Muslims uh, it's an extremist group and immediately trying to manage the narrative and, and prevent people's responses exactly. is, is that yeah okay I, I, I mean I, I was so mad and I felt so I don't really know how to say it because like it's like someone was pouring salt in our wounds. Because I, I could not tell their parents anything. I was on the line with their, or on their parents on the phone, and the other one was talking to my mother, and we couldn't find anything to tell them about it. There were obviously the... I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Secret Service or whatever it was in Belgium asked not to call because they were having a hard time finding, I don't know what, with the lines. And um, so the parents could not call. It was hard to find someone to talk to them. That was like the only thing they could do except sit and wait for the bad news. It was just obvious they were at least hurt, injured. But we did not expect them to be dead. Um, And this, like, they were sitting there telling us that, oh, it's not everyone are uh, Muslims. I mean, what am I going to do with that? Are they going to pay for the funeral? No, they're not. Are their prayers going to help us do something? No. If anything, I'm going to wipe my butt with their prayers. Because that's what we do all the time. Pray, pray, pray. For what? It did not help the people from France. It didn't help these people. It never uh, helped anybody else. And just because you post a picture on Facebook with uh, pray for whatever, it's not going to solve anything. If anything, well, and it's it's, it's not it's not mad. like it's not like the whole the, the whole mess is not because there's a deficiency of prayer and religion and irrational beliefs in the world. Well, it's pretty ironic to use that because because of religion is happening, right? That's the problem. And I'm sorry, just, I interrupted you. Please go on, go on with your thought. No, uh, yeah, that's, I don't really know, I'm rambling because I don't even know, I thought I was not going to cry in here, but obviously I failed. It's just really hard to put it into words how you feel. I was such an open-minded person, I'm not even joking, and I was so open-minded, I feel like two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, until I found out actually what's going on, and I found out that Trump is not that much of an asshole than he actually is and uh the comment i posted on your video was um i was just really really mad like i just 
couldn't anymore. But I do believe what I said. If our people are dying and so many lives has been lost, then I want their people to feel the same. These people, the people that are meant to come into my country, uh, the immigrants, they are not coming here because they need help. 80%, even not, if not more, are men. They should stay there, fight for the country, because I'm pretty sure that nobody's going to turn their backs off at them. Because obviously, if they do that, they are called racist. And I'm pretty sure that the big bad NATO would help them out, right? Teach them how to hold a gun. Put it at the head with who deserves it. We are not. I cannot walk on the street and walk, look these people in the eyes without wanting to throw rocks at them, since they like that so much. I, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm not, I've never been raised in a family where religion has been pushed down our throats, where uh, my parents' belief have been given to us by force. Like, that never happened to us. And my family is not even religious, so they cannot use that to me. They cannot use that excuse. I don't, ha I don't hate them because they need help. I hate them because of their religion and because that's an excuse and it's acceptable for them to kill people for that. They still try to use that same old excuse that we hate them because of their skin color. No, at this point, I hate them because of what they believe in. They believe in the same religion that kill my friends. They believe in the same religion that kill other people. How much more is it too much? Like, until when are people going to stand up and be like, well, fuck you. I just don't understand. How much do we have to suffer? How many children have to lose their families? And I don't really have words. And I'm sorry for using so many slurs, but it's just, I don't really know. And you lost I, two friends yesterday. I, I lost my friends. They were young. They were, they were full of life. Obviously, I mean, I'm I'm almost nineteen. I'm gonna be nineteen this summer. They were twenty one and twenty two. If that's not like the best point in your life, I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe not the best, but it's definitely the start of your life. And uh, can you tell us a little about? About your friends, what were they like? Where did you meet them? How long did you know them? Uh, we, we, I was actually visiting Italy, Italy this summer, uh, and we met there. And you know, we kept in touch. I like to take in photography, and I took their photos, and I had. Um, I needed them to sign a contract so I can post the photos online and stuff. You know. Um, so that's, we kept in touch. We liked each other as friends. So obviously it's pretty hard. We've only seen each other like twice after Italy, after the initial meeting where, but they're, they're really nice people. Uh, one of them wanted to go to university. The other one just wanted to travel the world. It's it's so cliche, everything, you know, but you still have time to change your mind. At minute 21 and 22, you can change your mind and do whatever. It won't be such a big problem. It's not like they were good thing. They were not uh, with families and with children. I'm not sure how much 
no, I'm not sure what I could do if they were to actually have children at home left to be raised by their grandparents instead of their mother or their father. That just, I can't even imagine. And these people, they were open-minded, you know? That's what, what bothers me the most. They were like, they were always good when it comes to these people. They never said religion is bad, their religion, sorry, their religion is bad, or that people are this and that, or that they are parasites, the immigrants. But look what this did to them. I mean, it's stupid to think they're all the same, obviously, but how can I know that? How can I know that? They killed, right. they killed so many people. How can I know that? They keep yelling they are not all the same. Well, so so Germans, right? Germans, most of the Germans have nothing to do with the war that happened or with Hitler. They've got nothing to do with that, man. The generation that had been born uh, since the, the war started, they were not even old enough to understand what was going on. Yet people are still blaming Germany for what happened uh, years ago in '45. When they then the people still are bothered by that, but nobody's yelling at America for uh, nuking, for using the nuclear weapons weapons when uh, it's clear that they shouldn't have. You know, it's kind of a I don't really know how to say it because it's hard to find the words. But these people somehow think that only us, the white people, whatever hell you want to call us are the problem. So we are the only problem in this world, and these idiots that kill everyone that doesn't agree with them, funny enough, they kill someone that agree with them. They kill so many people that probably agreed with them and never wanted to hurt them. Uh, they ask for forgiveness, and they tell me they are not all the same. I don't care if you're the same or not. I don't care if you share the same blood. What I care is, do you follow that religion? Because in your religion, it's all right to kill people. That's exactly what they're doing. Those terrorists, I'm not saying uh, they don't have any other agenda. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff they want to do to terrorism, sure. Um, but that's the main thing, right? It's their religion. That's the excuse they're using. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not the member of it, so I don't know exactly what's going on inside. I know what it's outside. And what's outside is that people are dying, and you should feel ashamed to admit that you follow their religion. I, I won't sit there and listen to you telling me that you follow the religion that killed people, innocent people. People that agree with you and that supported uh, you invading us. Because that's what it is, right? right? I don't think we'll ever be able to see eye to eye to these people. I, I know I won't. And the thing is, this country, Romania, it's so open-minded. We already have like 500 in our country or like 1,000. Uh, people already integrated them in the society, you know? On the countryside, that's where they they were added. Uh, people are nice in here. We don't have a we don't have a problem with people. We are very open minded, and that's the biggest problem here because I know that we're not gonna question them, and we're gonna get you know effed over. Right.
So you, you're currently in Romania, is that right? Yes, I do. I've been born here. I've been raised here. I don't want to leave my country. That's the thing, because I could probably force my parents, even though, like, my father is a police officer. I mean, excuse you, my dad has been in this country since the day he was born as well, and his parents, and so did my mom. He fought for this country. My my father's um, side of the family, they were in, they went to war, both of them. Uh, they had, like, my it's just I'm sorry I'm rambling uh basically my whole uh side of my dad's family has been in the military so these people know what it's like to fight for it they are fighting they were fighting back then for this land that we're sitting in this country and now these people come to us and take it away I don't want to leave my country I don't want to make my parents leave their home and move like a coward. If someone starts putting bombs around here, and if someone walks around on the street like it's a big shot, and threatens us like they did on the countries like Germany and Sweden, then I'm probably going to have to throw rocks at you. I don't care. I don't feel like we should be ashamed to protect our values and to protect our homes and our families, because that's what it is at the end of the day. That's what I'm so pissed off. I could not protect my, my friends. Their families couldn't do it. Nobody even expected that. But, I mean, now we just know. We need to stop pretending we did not know it was coming. We knew it was coming. I'm pretty sure the government knew it was coming. They just didn't care. And we did not know when it was coming. We should all just be on alert. And every single time you see something going on, well, just jump on them. But you can't jump on them because, you know, it's going to come all about racism and whatnot. And you're going to be the one arrested. The governments don't care about their own people. They care to protect them more than they care to protect us. It does not matter if we live here our whole lives and if we paid taxes and everything else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Right. And what were your thoughts about multiculturalism and and the migrant crisis and so on uh, before these attacks? I mean, obviously, you know about the one in Paris and then the one in Brussels and many, many others as well. Uh, and what were your thoughts about all of this before? Oh, I was very... Okay, you can call me racist. I don't care, but I'm not happy with that. I told my parents... Uh, actually, I... I I talk so much about this that my parents are sick of it, you know, because we can't do anything about it except talk. Um, I told my parents that the moment these people are going to step foot into our country, when it began back in the summer, uh, I told them there was no good. I don't want them here. I don't want their culture. Like, how could you possibly mix two things like water and oil? Tell me how can you possibly do that? It's the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. And, like, we can't, we just can't go along with these people. There's either going to be a really thick line between us when we don't see eye to eye, or I guess we're just going to, I don't know, kill each other. Because I'm not going to accept them uh, raising their children here. Like, I mean, we already have a community of Arabs and, you know, they came here a long time ago. Uh, but they are 
in our community. They are going after our rules and they respect our culture. These people come into your country and they try, I mean, they're lying and they say they don't want to replace your values and your culture and everything else, but they actually, that's exactly what they want because they want rights, right? They want rights. They want the church or mosque, whatever it's called. They want this, they want that. And well, that's to me like we give us we give them a finger and they take our whole hand. So this thing with where people are trying to mix culture, that does not work. That won't work. I mean, maybe for America, because the Americas are made from immigrants from Europe and so on. I understand that. There's like a big mixture of stuff. But here, no. Here are countries that have their own culture. If I go to Spain, then I respect them because it's their home and I'm the guest, not the host. They are the host and they tell me how to act. Same here. But we don't have the the right to do that anymore. We don't have the right to protect our, our homes because basically that's what it is. Like today in Romania, if you don't pay your bills and um, the rent, you're kicked out, you know. So I cannot move. I live with my parents. I have a shitty-ass job. And if I try to move by myself, then I'd probably be kicked out because I cannot afford to pay the rent. So these people come here and we give them what? We give them house. We give them a food. We give them a medical... Uh, what is it called? Well, we give Healthcare, them... Healthcare, uh, dental. Exactly, yes. Um, what else do we give? Oh, we give them jobs. And they're cheap, you know, because they can hire two at the price of one instead of hiring us. Uh, we're going to give them uh, free education. Here is free anyway. I want to point that out. It's free. But how much actually these people don't even pay taxes? How long is going to start? How long is it, are they going to? Because. Until they start being uh, working members of society, that means they are sitting on their backs. And that means that me, for my shitty salary, I'm going to pay for, what, four or five of them, if, if not more? Like, how, how can you call them other than parasites? That's what they are. They just, or leeches. They sit there and they suck our blood and we just accept it. And the, you asked me about the culture thing and i'm sorry i'm rambling so much um, you're doing great you're doing great just keep going but uh we don't even at least here in romania i'm gonna talk about romania because this is what i know between us and between them our religion our yeah religions obviously are very different so different um but and here women are treated so differently like as I said, the people in here are not violent. We are not violent people, and neither are the men or the women. Men are actually very respectful of women in here. I don't know how it happened, but it happened, probably because people are too nice about it. Uh, and we also don't have the feminists, just to make it clear. At least we don't have them on the news, or you don't really see them on the street, which is good for now. Um, but we had a problem like this a few years ago, like... Um, Four or five years ago, we had the gypsies. Uh, and the gypsies are here for 
from a long, long time. They are here for a long time. They came from India in Romania. I don't know how that happened. I forgot. Um, but they were starting to act up like they were really doing shitty stuff in Europe and they were begging and stealing and we tried to put them back into their place, you know, but the moment we did that, uh, friends came and yelled at us that, oh my God, that's racist, leave them alone. Uh, I think I think Italy as well, and a lot of countries jumped out of throats that we tried to do something with the gypsies, okay? And I'm not saying we went outside and tried to stone them to death. No, we never did that, but we we tried to put them back into the place. We cut off that. We cut off this. Um, and, you know, they gave us money to integrate them, integrate them in the society. So sad. Um, but they obviously don't want to go to school. They don't want to go to school. But at the same time, we don't pay anything for these people, you know? Mm. They are born and raised here. And they leave the country to go and beg in Europe. And uh, now everyone is mad at us that we didn't do anything about it. Like, if they see a gypsy begging or robbing someone, they're like, oh, my God, Romania. No, no, it's not us. We tried, but you you did not let us do it. So I'm afraid this is what's going to happen when people won't accept um, for our uh, beliefs to mix. It, it's not. It can't be. It's just such a big difference between us and them. Even if people are really open-minded when it comes to that, it's still not, you know, I mean, how open-minded can you actually be? You know, you, you just keep your head above the water, but when they push it down and you can't breathe anymore, I think that's enough. That's kind of how Romania it is, and I'm afraid that's going to happen. Uh, one problem that I have with these people coming in here and any other country, they don't want to work. Um, we had like a few farmers around and they said, well, I'm going to take them. I'm going to keep them in my house if they help me around the house. Like if they, keep, if they, um, take care of the animals, if they help me do this and that, but they didn't want to, like the immigrants say they don't want to do that. So I don't know, sir, what, how could anyone think that it's okay to leave these people in here? I don't know why we are forced to do that. In this moment, I'm so done with that. I'm so sick and tired of being made fun of in our own countries and being, uh, I guess, a joke. We are a joke, basically, because we allow this to happen to us. Not only Romania, but here is not as bad again. Here is not as bad yet, because they did not leave them in the country officially. So they are probably, like, maybe... 150 or something like that. I don't know. But there are not that many as there are in Germany, France, Sweden. <laughs> but they're coming. That's the thing. They are coming and they are really mad and really onto something. Uh, but the other countries like Germany and France, I mean, how could people keep their mouth shut and not stand up? And I don't know. Yeah, but then the police comes and takes you because you're racist and what, whatever. It does not matter if they're messing up your country. It does not matter if they're uh, writing on your walls. You can't do anything to them. Just like the feminists don't pay any kind of attention to gang rapes and everything else if it's not black males doing it.
that's a bit stupid. And you mean, I if, mean it, it, if it is black males doing it or if it is non if it's non whites doing it, then the feminists uh, doesn't doesn't show up. They don't they don't want to talk about it. Exactly. We we had a few things in here as well um, with the gypsies. As I said, we had the experience with the gypsies. And if the gypsies do something, nobody says anything. But if a Romanian does something, a person that's white, because they're not necessarily Romanians, uh, it's all over the news, like all over. You're going to hear about it like two days from now on, from when it happened. But if I were to hit a gypsy, I actually had a few of them trying to break into my, into our house. Uh, it, it obviously didn't go on the news, but I mean... Did I beat them up? <laughs> of course I beat them up. But again, the the thing with gypsies is we don't pay taxes for them. They don't want the job. They don't want this. They don't want education. They want nothing. And we let them be. I mean, gypsies also don't really have anything to do with religion. They believe in the same things as most of the people in here do. <laughs> if they don't, they're going to pretend they do. Just so they can be integrated in society. Not they are smart people. They're not... Um, Clinging to their their values so much, maybe because it's been so many years since we have them here, and they they are part of our society already. Even if they do some stuff we don't agree with, they are our part. But these people, they're trying to do with the immigrants. What, for example, did here with the gypsies long ago? But that was long ago, in like eighty hundreds, and they are bringing people here today, trying to mix our race. That's not. That's just not how it is. That's not how it's done. If you want to integrate someone in society, bring like five or six people, see how they act, see if they can, you know, see eye to eye, see if they can actually fit in there. Instead of bringing thousands and thousands and thousands and kicking our people out of the house and allowing others inside. How is that coming? I heard in Canada they are... um, Kicking veterans or something like that to make space for immigrants, to make uh, rooms for them. I'm not sure. I might be wrong. But well, a, look, a small <clears throat> a small number of immigrants can integrate. A large number of immigrants won't, especially if there's a welfare state, because they get paid. They don't have to learn the language. They don't have to integrate into the economy. So, you know, the human body can take a small amount of alcohol, but a huge amount of alcohol will just kill it. So you can have a small trickle coming in and there will be some chance for integration. But when you start talking half a million, a million uh, or more, I mean, they're just going to come and they're going to create their homeland in the new country and uh, not integrate. Well, obviously, and that's the biggest mistake people do. They think they're coming like the ones on the paper, you know, the names that are on the paper, like a man or two. No, they are coming here, the first 500, and their families are following. You're just like, what, six or seven people? I know these people do a lot of children. They make a lot of children. We don't. We don't because we don't have what to offer them. Uh, my parents... Uh, had my my two siblings and me and I was born in 97 and they stopped so these people keep making children but you know I mean most of them are used as um, brainwashed fools that they can blow up like most of the children that's what they are 
there are chemicals. Well, it's it's the it's a standard thing in society, and it's true across the animal kingdom as a whole. Low IQ is high fertility. That's okay. you know, the smarter you are, the more you worry about the future, the more you're concerned, and the more you want to invest in each of your kids. So, the smarter you are, the fewer children you have. And you know, coming from the Middle East, uh, you've got an average IQ of eighty-five. I was just Romanian gypsies have an average IQ of 60. So, of course, they don't, you know, and anybody who's smarter than that is going to get out of that lifestyle pretty quickly. So it's not like they have a whole mess of smart genes to start mixing into that that pool. So, um, yeah, the the IQ thing is uh, is an issue. Um, You know, when we say, oh, races don't mix uh, or cultures don't mix, I don't think that's true if you look at very intelligent Culture. So if you look at whites with an average IQ of 100, you look at um, East Asians like the, the, the Chinese, the Japanese, the South Koreans and so on, they have an IQ of 103, 104, 105. And Asians do better in white societies than even white people do. So Asians and whites, East Asians and whites can mix pretty well. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's obviously some people who've got issues with the Ashkenazi Jews, but nonetheless, when the Jews came from Europe, even if they didn't speak the language, it took them four years to reach income parity to the Native Americans, uh, sorry, to the Native white Americans who were in America. But when you get low IQ groups coming into a society, into a high IQ society, that is absolute disaster. So I, I agree with you, cultures are a challenge, but low IQ cultures will always be fighting uh, amongst themselves and amongst others. There's a sweet spot for criminality around sort of 80 to 85 IQ. And uh, when you have an entire population where that's the average, you have a lot of aggression. And then when you have a lot of men moving to a new area, uh, testosterone is high when you're a young man and it goes down when you get married and it goes down when you have kids if you're in proximity to your children, like I'm a stay-at-home dad and my testosterone has gone down, I don't know, 40% because I'm so much in proximity to to kids. And so uh, uh, cultures can mix, but it, it takes intelligence to to navigate that and to make it work. But the problem is not all, like no cultures can mix because there's examples of successful mixing of cultures in the past, but low IQ cultures coming crashing into high IQ societies um, that is just, just like taking a truck and driving it into a flagpole. I mean, it's just going to knock it over. Yeah, I don't have a problem with people mix. That, that's not my problem, you know. I mean, if it's um, an equal number of people and they respect my my beliefs and my culture, then why would I not, not do the same thing to them? Like you said, some are really good mix uh, mixes, like, how can you, nobody, um, we had Japanese and Chinese in here for a long time. Uh, those people are in our society. You don't hear about them. I mean, you don't hear anything bad about them. We all know that Japanese, Chinese people are really smart. Um, but what do we know about Arabs and all that? Well, <laughs> we don't know the good things. Cause oh, we know. We we know, we know, like, and I've talked about this in the show before, that, I mean, for a variety of reasons, but largely as a result of uh, encouraging cousin marriage, oh, uh, that uh, the, the Middle Easterners, you know, the, the Muslims, uh, it's taken 8 to 16 IQ points off the whole population. And the one thing that's true about less intelligent people is they're not 
good at adapting to new situations and environment. That takes intelligence, which is why, you know, Chinese people, Japanese people, South Korean people come to Western countries and they figure things out. They suss things out. They figure out how to make things work. They have strong values and they, they, their, their families stay together. And, you know, they're way past the IQ peak of, of aggression, which is why there are fewer uh, East Asians in, in jails than, than whites and, and so on. So we do know, we, 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 we know for a fact that the average IQ across the Middle East is 80 to 90, depending on the country, and uh, that that's, you know, on average, it's a full standard deviation below. And it's not like uh, the, um, uh, the, the Arabs are sort of innately bad, it's just that everybody who has that level of IQ doesn't do well in a high, like whites with an IQ of 85 don't do well in white societies. And blacks, American blacks have an average IQ of 85 and they don't do well in high IQ societies with lots of exceptions, but we're talking about the averages. And yeah. uh, uh, East Asians, so the, the Chinese people who have an IQ of 85 don't do well in high IQ societies. So basically what's happening is money has been taken from high IQ populations and it's being forcibly ripped out of their wallets and it's being handed over for lower IQ populations to breed. And anybody who thinks there's anything other than disaster that's going to come out of that is, is fooling themselves. Oh, yeah. For example, <clears throat> our president and par- prime minister were like, oh, yeah, we support Belgium. We're going to offer them uh, them uh, like doctors and stuff. Because like, wait, why? Why do you want to offer them uh, doctors? Why do you want to send them doctors and funds and stuff? You, you could just send the the army. But I mean, um, we don't have um, we don't have uh, the law where men are forced to get in the army anymore. It's no, stopped the draft, after right. the communism. Uh, my father uh, was in the army and kind of his generation, but after that, he only lasted for like. 10 years so my parents met in 92 and we yeah they stopped around 94 96 accepting like forcing people to be in the army so right now the men that go there i mean excuse me but they are anything but because if i put them those men to fight to actually fight, I'm sure that most of them don't know that. Because for them, it's just like my office job. You know, it's not a life in that situation. We are not taught to be that way. I mean, my father, it's he's in uh, his 40 already, almost 50. And he still knows how to hold a gun. <laughs> you know, it's funny uh, is that that you say that like... Oh man, that's so old. It's like, yeah, we'll it'll be fifty this year. Oh, but go on. Old. It, it <laughs> really is old to me. Like my parents have seen of course, so many of course stuff it is, yeah. Uh, before me, but the, I also have um contact with the generation that's like mine. In ninety seven a lot of children were born because it was like a good year. You know, it was a good year, so our parents decided to have us. Um but the if I have, I'm very close to my parents, so I usually stay around their friends as well, which are older people. And I have to sit with the people my age because, you know, society. Uh, but the more I see the stupidity that are my generation, mine, because I don't even want to talk about the, the ones that came after us. Uh, they just don't care. I mean, I've been trying to talk to my friends about what happened 
for months now. You know, I've been trying to warn them. I told them, let's go out. Let's go on the street. Let's scream. Let's say we don't want immigrants in our country. Nah, they don't have a problem with that. They think they are like gypsies. No, gypsies are good. Gypsies are actually good. I never thought it would come the day that I say that. But <laughs> gypsies are, are saints on earth. I could go and hug them. Um... We, I also had a lot of, of contact with gypsies, by the way. Uh, my grandma is one of them. It's like one of the gypsies, but not like the gypsies that live in a, in a, in a tent and all that. No, they are like hardworking. Back on the communism day, you, could, you were not allowed to walk on the street without a job. If the militia will stop you and you did not tell them you had a job, they will force you to get a job. If not, you're going to go to jail, and from jail you're going to, you know, be forced to work. So, uh, that's that's what we are talking about. I keep insisting with gypsies, but it's like, that's the only culture that mixed with us. Because the other, one, other ones are in small numbers. They don't really, they're not, it's not felt in the society, you know? I mean, I've never, I've never even met, um, wait, no, that's a lie. Okay, I've met um, Muslim people, yeah? But you don't even know that. They did not try to shove their religion down my throat. They did not tell me to stop eating pork or whatever, you know? Um, but that's it. There are not that many. You don't really see them every single day on the street. Or, I mean, maybe you do, but, you know? Uh, but the gypsies have gone through such a big change. If if you can if you only count the communism days in the country, they were not without a job. They knew how to do, uh, uh, I don't know, shoes, pens, whatever they were doing. They were doing something. They were getting paid for it, and they were respected in the society. But now, who's gonna make these people? Like you said, they they're not even smart people. What could it possibly get out of them? We can get anything. I mean to, I don't know, take out the trash. I'm sure you you can have people in this country that can do that, you know? If they're going to... Uh... Well, and, and what about the people in the country? Like, like so you got an average... I, I, I don't know because nobody's measured it, but I'm guessing that the IQs of the people coming in in the last wave of, of migrants from the Middle East, uh, from North Africa, are even lower than the average because the smart people left long ago. But, you know, let's... But what about the people in Romania who aren't that smart, who now are going to have to compete with all of these people who have come in who are going to try and take their jobs? What about the, the IQ 85 people or IQ 80 people who are native to Romania? Uh, how much fun is it for them to be in competition with these waves of people? If, even if they, if they do want to work, it's going to drive down the wages and uh, it's going to displace the people, the native people who need those jobs. Uh, you see, we don't have a jobs now. I finished high school for a year. A year of, it's a year of my life and I still don't have a job. I mean, I worked at McDonald's, but as I said, I cannot do anything with McDonald's. Uh, right. I still live with my parents. Truth be told, I don't want to leave because I don't have where to go. Uh, my uh, friends are in the same position. Uh, but the ones that are here right now, they, we don't. We already don't have a job. A lot of people don't have jobs. And now they're bringing these people. And I swear to God, if they pull out jobs out of their pockets to give these people, I don't know what I'm going to do. <clears throat> like I don't know what I'm gonna do because I'm not. What, what do you mean? Uh, who? Who? Sorry. Who pulls out of what pockets? The government, obviously. Who else? I mean, the government 
is the one that refuses to help us, their own people. The people that, as I said, parents paid a lot of taxes in their lifetime, and my grandparents and everyone else, they refused well, Diana, to help I, us. I don't, I don't mean to shock you, but that is most likely what's going to happen. What's going to happen is oh, yeah, once, the migrants, once the migrants come in, then they set up um, ghettos. They, they, they set up communities, and they don't attempt to integrate, and they live on welfare. And then what happens is uh, the politicians all look at this situation, which maybe they inherited or maybe they caused like Merkel or whatever, but they look at this situation and they say, well, we have one group of people who are the whites, the Europeans uh, or the people. It doesn't have to be white, but people of Euro like natives to, to Europe. Yeah. We have this group of people. And if we raise their taxes, they're not going to riot. They're not going to sort of set fire to things. They're not going to go shooting pistols in the air. They're not going to riot. So we have one group of people. We raise their taxes. You know, they'll grumble. They'll complain. They'll, you know, maybe there'll be a couple of marches. But civil order will be maintained. On the other hand, we have this group of very volatile, relatively low IQ North Africans. And if we cut back on their benefits, if we end welfare for them, they are going to riot like has not been seen in, in Europe since the 1960s and probably even before. So basically, as a politician, you know, politicians are like water going down the side of a mountain. They just take the path of least resistance. And so white people won't riot if you raise their taxes, but um, the migrants will riot if you cut their benefits. So as a politician, what are you going to do? <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. I mean, the politicians have been... They have been messing us over for a long time now. That's, I've been yelling for a few years now that the governments don't care about us, uh, especially since well, no, I started they, to grow. They care, they care about you as a source of revenue, like a farmer oh. cares about his cows because he gets milk and meat from them. They care about you as a source of revenue. But Europe as a whole, and this is just my particular opinion, I want to know what, what you think about it, but Europe as a whole, it's like, I don't know, maybe a generation ago? They just, they just, they just gave up making tough decisions, and now it's just, oh, the migrants are coming in. Okay, great. Well, we'll just borrow some money. We'll print some money. We'll tax some money. We'll give them. because nobody wants to make any tough decisions, and oh, yeah. that which you that which you avoid compulsively, you almost always create. So people are like, well, you know, I want to avoid tough decisions for the next five minutes. So I'm not going to push the migrants back. I'm going to keep giving uh, them them welfare benefits. I'm going to keep giving them and I'm going to keep attacking any white person who complains about this because it's easier. Because if you call a white person a racist, nine times out of them, okay, I'm sorry. But you know, if, if you try and cut benefits to migrants, you're going to have a huge, like I saw this 60 minutes um, a segment of this a news show. And uh, they didn't believe, um, I can't remember where it was, Sweden or Norway, I think it was Sweden. They didn't believe in these no-go zones. So they, they go to this area called Little Mogadishu, where the Somalians are. And they go there with some police. There's a woman, the blonde woman there, and a cameraman, and a producer, and maybe one or two other guys. And they go into this area. And they're there for about two or three minutes. And these Somalis uh, pull up in a car and start screaming at them to leave. And when they don't, the Somali drives over the foot of the cameraman, seriously injuring the guy. But now, now they've got the police escort, and the police are like, well, we're not going to do anything about it because the police are instructed to 
uh, avoid these racial confrontations, I think. Anyway, so then they go in. They go into the sort of neighborhood. You know, the cameraman, the woman, I, I don't know if the cameraman obviously was limping quite a bit. And they get some, there's some violence and some pushback right away, but they stand their ground and they have a few relatively pleasant conversations. And then young Somali men with, with hoods on their faces start swarming them. They throw rocks at them. They punch them. They knock the camera down and they basically have to flee. But the, to me, the telling part, the telling part was uh, before they went in and they, they, they fled and all, but before they went into this inner area of, of this no-go zone, the police were with them. The police were with them. And they said, well, you're coming too, right? Because, you know, we're taxpayers and we need the protection of the police. And police are like, no. No, we're not uh, not going in. Well, why not? Well, and they said, well, we find our presence there only provokes them. Really? Really? So I have to pay taxes, but these people in Little Mogadishu are not even remotely subject to the law. They can drive over people's foot. They can get a license plate number. Nothing's going to happen. So if I speed, I get pulled over and I get a ticket, which I have to pay or I go to jail. But these people are not subject to any laws at all. That's not part of the country anymore. That is not part of the country anymore. I don't know and, when and nobody who's not Somali can go there. Great. Be- even better. I mean, we already have uh, a few no-go zones, but because I'm scared, like I'm scared of people, I don't want to go there, you know? And I'm com- I come from uh, the capital of the Romanian. I'm from Bucharest, and I have, you know, I mean, we are not having any kind of violence around here, but uh, I don't know when it started happening in Europe, but the people, like the police officer in Romania... Uh, are spit over, they are called names and all that, and every single television, for years before it happened in America with the whole police brutality and stuff, every single television jumps at the police throat. So, uh, good thing my dad is not the kind of police officer that's on the street, you know? He's not right. a big boss or anything like that, but he's not on the street either, so I'm I'm feeling pretty happy about that. Um but if my dad tomorrow, let's say, put him on the street and this punk comes at him and tries to hit him or whatever, dad cannot put out his gun. He can't pull out his gun. He can't uh, beat the living shit out of him because then it's going to end up on the news and his salary, a part of his salary is going to be cut off. It's just they don't want to get rid of the police because obviously, you know, when stupid people are rioting, they're going to send the police in there. Nobody cares about their lives. Uh, but they also don't want to give them the right. I wouldn't want to be a police officer in these days. I can do anything to protect myself, and I can do anything to protect the people that pay taxes to pay me the salary, to have what to put on the table. So that, to me, when it happened in Europe, I've heard about it. I've also had friends in America, and they told me what happened to the police. And I was always against them, because, like, what can the police do? At the end of the day, they are people, right? Uh, but this is not shocking to me, because here it's been happening what? for a long, long time. But, but this is so weird. I mean, okay, so I don't want to pay my taxes, let's say. And then the police, no, they can't arrest me. I'm a person. It's like, well, why, why do we have laws that only apply to the paler members of the population? Well, for obvious practical reasons that uh, white people must be continually attacked because otherwise white people or European people as a whole are going to say, well, wait a minute, what the hell's in this for me? And, and this is what is 
breaks my heart about all of this, Diana, which is that you, you know, every society needs new people. They need new members because otherwise you end up all kinds of inverted pyramid top heavy Japan where the ancient people are pied pipering all the people off the planet. So everybody needs new people into their society. Now, which would be easier in Romania? Would it be for Romanian people to give birth to Romanian children and raise them? Would that be easier? They speak the language, they have the culture, they have friends, they look like everyone else, uh, everyone gets along uh, for the most part. And if you don't get along with someone, maybe they're just a jerk, right? I mean, but if you don't get along with someone who's a different race, they're going to just scream racism at you and then what, what, what can you do, right? And so everybody, every culture, every country needs new people. And... The idea that it's a really good plan to bring in not children born to Romanian people with the language, the culture, the the, the history, the, the whole thing all Im- embedded in, yeah. but that it's a great bring idea that. to go to, to completely opposite cultures and bring in adults who don't speak the language, who are uneducated, that that's the best way that if you have the choice, because that is the real choice. Every migrant who comes in is another native Romanian who can't afford to have a child. Exactly. We can have children. Like I said, I can't live a life. I can go and uh, get myself a, a car. Hell, I can even pay for uh, exams, like go to get my license. I need to wait on my parents. And my parents also have a lot of bank loans and stuff like that. You're right, you know? Because my mother doesn't work. My dad is the only one. My my grandma is still alive. And she's been working 50 years in a toxic environment. And she has a shitty ass pension. Like, it's it's so... It's not even half of my dad's salary. Even though she worked much more than he did. And in worse conditions. And you were saying about children. Well, funny thing. My sister is pregnant. She's expecting her first child. She lives in an apartment with her husband, who's also in the army. And they are given, like, um, uh, one-room apartment, something like that. And that's where they're going to have to raise their children. My sister also doesn't work because she has some pregnancy uh, complications and stuff. But they're going to they're gonna have such a hard life she, and ha- such a hard time, sorry, um, raising the, ch- the child. It's going to be uh, born in September this year. Um, and I, I'm already scared for my, my tiny member of the family, right? My brother moved to Spain because of work, um, and he has, has their little girl, and she's an uh, European citizen, the little girl. But they were able to give her a good life, you know, because he and his wife have a good job. But here, we can do that. Like, if tomorrow I find myself a husband and I'm going to get married, I'm not going to be able to make a child because I don't live. I mean, I could live with my parents, obviously. Nobody's going to kick me out. But if you're a person like me and you want not your freedom, because I have my freedom. My parents never told me to do anything. Um, But if you want to have your own damn house, you know, I can do that. I can't go and make a child. I can't go and pay for it. I can't pay for its future. But they're bringing this. I mean, tell me, how could a 60-year-old man, like the father of the father of the father, whoever else comes into this country, is going to help my economy? Like the old people. Our cemeteries are already kind of full. Like, they need to pull out people and stuff, you know? Details. But um, how are we going to... What can the old population of the migrants that come 
what is going to help us with? It's not going to help us with anything. And the children that are above the age of one should not be brought into this country. I don't believe it because you can still work with a child that's five or six years old, maybe, maybe if they haven't been brainwashed completely. But, but why? Can... why? Why not just why? Why not just have Romanians have their own kids? Yeah, but you see, I mean, I'm not that uh, I'm not that mean when I think about it because maybe there are children that deserve a better life. But obviously, if you come to it, I can be a selfish bastard and say, well, my children should have a better life. Like well, no, no, generation. no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Hang on. So if you want to help people in the Middle East, then you can send money to the Middle East. Like there's ways to resettle Muslims uh, in the Middle East or people, you know, from war-torn countries. They can And they can be settled. You can settle 12 Muslims in the Middle East for every one Muslim you bring to the West. So this isn't even actually helping the Muslims that much. Uh, first of all, they're coming to cultures they can't integrate with, they can't be successful in. It's very frustrating. The the, the temperature is bad. Like a lot of <laughs> some some of them want to leave come February because they're like, wow, this is horrible. <laughs> like, yeah, you oh, got to yeah. be kind of hardy stock to be to make it through a European winter. So you're not helping the Muslims. This has nothing to do with helping the Muslims. If you want to help the Muslims, send money to the Middle East where they can be resettled in the Middle East, and you can do twelve to one. You can do twelve Middle Eastern settle, resettlements in the Middle East for Arabs than for everyone you bring to the West. It's nothing to do with helping the, uh, the Muslims. I, that, that's a false dichotomy. If you want to help them, send money over there. Don't bring, them, don't bring them to you. But even that, though, like, why should I send them money? You are right. You're 100% right. I agree with you. Uh, but why should I give them money? Like, I mean, excuse me, okay, who started the war? There was America, there was so-called 9-11 that Bush blamed on them, and so on. I'm not sure, but I don't believe it was them. But it wasn't uh, you. Exactly, I mean, it wasn't you, me. You, you were four years old on 9-11. I'm pretty sure I didn't see you yeah. on TV with an RPG. No, exactly. I wasn't there. I, I, <laughs> I remember um, the news i i remember my parents talking about it and they were very mad because in 2004 if i'm not wrong like uh america sent the troops in 2003 on march 20 uh so romania sent the troops in 2004 uh right or after the tsunami i'm not sure around that period of time um and okay we are to blame because we sent the troops there yeah but we were supposedly good doing something good uh Let's say that we invaded them first because we went there, we killed their people, yada, yada, yada. But I didn't do it. Like, I didn't do anything. My dad was not no, there but, to fight. But, but see, okay, look, I mean, I, I, I wish uh, with all my heart that America and, uh, and England and the coalition of the willing had not gone into Iraq and had not gone into Afghanistan. This, uh, you, you, look... Nation, like going in and destroying existing infrastructure and, and building something new, it's, it's a bad idea unless there's an extremity of self-defense. It can actually work in history, though, and I'll get to that in a second. So I wish they hadn't done it. But, um, but, but since they did do it, then the argument I would make is, okay, then the West is officially at war with the Middle East. And when you're officially at war with a particular ethnic group, you know what you don't do? Huh, funny, funny story. What you don't do is you don't bring in millions of military-age men into your own country from the group that you're at war with. That's, that's kind of a war 101. Do not import military-aged men from the people you're currently fighting. Now, 
I can think of just two examples off the top of my head wherein you could really argue even worse things happened to countries than what happened to Iraq and Afghanistan, and those countries emerged better. So I'm thinking, uh, of course, there were fire bombings in Tokyo. Everybody knows, as you mentioned earlier, the two atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But there was a firestorm, a firebombing of Tokyo uh, that killed, I think, even more people than, than one of the atomic bombs. So Tokyo was bombed uh, and, and Japan was bombed end to end. Two nuclear weapons dropped. Uh, and what happened? Well, within a couple of decades, two decades after the end of the Second World War, they were a leading industrial power and they were far better off than they were before all of this happened so this was a country completely eviscerated by a fo- by foreign aggression and you know 9-11 uh, sorry <laughs> 9-11 uh, Pearl Harbor and all that you know it wasn't like they didn't have some something to say about it but this was a country completely destroyed Germany Germany was invaded by the allies from the east and by the Russians from the west now the Russians not the nicest invaders to have in the neighborhood. Um, That's right. They, they can be a little prickly. Uh, actually, they just bring their pricks and do a lot of raping. But uh, the, the, the Russians and, you know, I mean, the Germans had invaded the Russians a whole bunch of times. And the Russians still remembered the war, the First World War that, that uh, you know, killed so many Russians. And then the uh, Stalingrad. And I mean, it was a huge mess. So by the time the, German, the, the Russians got to Germany, they were pissed. And oh, yeah. Germany was, was bifurcated. Germany was cut in two. Berlin was this tiny little island of semi-capitalism in a sea of communism. Oh, and by the way, for those people who don't think a wall will work, three and a half million people escaped from East Germany when there was no wall. Uh, three and a half million escaped in just a few years after they put the wall up for the next 50 years or 40 years or whatever it was, about 40,000 people made it across. So yes, walls work, whether you like it or not. So here's the example of two countries which had harsher treatment in many ways than Iraq and Afghanistan. And you know what didn't happen in Japan after they had the living craft bombed out of them from coast to coast? What, what didn't happen in Japan afterwards was a group of religious fanatics came pouring in, uh, raping everyone, creating sex slaves, burning people alive in cages, torturing, mutilating, killing, child soldiers, the whole... That didn't happen. Why? Because Japan has an IQ of 106. They're not stupid. Exactly. And in Germany, you've got an IQ of 102, 103, so they can rebuild something when they have been destroyed as a country. That doesn't happen... When you have IQ 85 people who have a pretty medieval and barbaric philosophy. So it, it was terrible what happened in Iraq and what happened in Afghanistan and other countries. Terrible what happened in Libya. And the problem is because you can't talk about IQ in America or in uh, uh, Europe or in England. You can't talk about IQ. And so people think, well, you know, we'll go and decapitate Saddam Hussein and we'll go drive back the Taliban and everything's going to be sunshine and roses, just like it was in Japan and just like it was in Germany after the Second World War. And just like it was in Vietnam. Vietnam's still dealing with birth defects caused by Agent Orange and Vietnam had the living. Vietnam had more bombs dropped on it than were dropped in all of World War II during the Vietnam War. And Vietnam now is a pretty peaceful, relatively decent country that is a world manufacturing uh, power. And so yeah. because no one in America can talk about IQ, 
or, or intelligence, they make unbelievably disastrous policy decisions like this. And of course, that's why you can't talk about IQ, because uh, then you can actually start to make some intelligent decisions. And if, if you had been able to talk about IQ, if the bell curve and all of this stuff had been more roundly discussed, people would have said, oh, do you want to go nation build in Iraq? I don't know. Let's go look up the average IQ in Iraq. Oh, how about Afghanistan? Oh, is it in the low to mid 80s? Eh, not going to work. You ain't going to be able to transplant Western values developed in IQ 100 plus societies and take them over to IQ 85 societies. If you could, there'd be no such thing as a ghetto in America. End of rant. Thank you for your patience, oh, Diane. I let no you continue. Problem. You are, I just, I don't really have what to add because you are 100% right. But um, at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I was not okay with, people going there in their own land and blah, blah, blah. But now I understand that their mentality does not fit in these days, in this age. It, they are the only ones that have this kind of mentality. Maybe someone from, in a deserted island or something, you know? Um, and it was impossible for these people not to move from um, their country. It was impossible for them not to come here. But... Like you said, there are people who had it way worse than that. Just like there are uh, races that had it way b worse than black people, right? But they are the ones that are vocals about it. You're not going to hear them talking about it. I mean, you're not going to hear the gypsies in this country that have been slaves for like a few years. I'm not sure. We we ended slavery pretty quick in, in New Romania back in the day. Um, but... That's it. They are the one vocals about it. They decided, well, I'm just going to leave the country and I'm going to, I mean, I'm not sure if they decided, but, you know, one left, the others follow and so on. Uh, and you were talking about Russia a few moments ago. Well, I really hope Russia comes and takes us because they saved our bunks <laughs> a lot. No, seriously, they saved us. I, I'll tell you this. Sorry to interrupt, Dan. I'll just say this very briefly. I, I can guarantee you that Vladimir Putin is not going to allow... Muslims coming up to the border of Russia. I guarantee you. Look, the whole reason why there was an Eastern Bloc to begin with was because they didn't want the Europeans on the border of Russia again, exactly. causing more problems like the First and Second World War. I guarantee you that you guys are going to be taken into that semi-hairy chested bosom of his and uh, he's going to keep you all as a buffer state uh, for Uranistan. Well, <laughs> I... I just, you know, uh, by the way, you know, Hungary, uh, the prime minister said they're not going to take immigrants. They're going to build walls if they, if they have to, and they're not going to take it. They are yep. not better than us. I mean, the people kind of hate each other, I think. I'm not sure what's up with the people because uh, pe we have some things. Yeah, the Hungarian people and the Romanian people, there are some things we don't agree with each other, you know? Uh, but we don't really <laughs> hate each other. It's just like a big mess around here. You don't, uh, but but you you don't, sorry to interrupt, but you don't disagree about things like whether female genitalia should be mutilated for God. Oh, my God, no. I don't believe that um, male should be mutilated at birth, like the little boys. Why would you do that to your child? That's one of the things I don't want these people into my country. I'm not sure about the circumcision laws in Romania, but I'm pretty sure it's only uh, legal if it's a medical condition, like if something happens to the boy's penis. But unless that happens, you just torture and mutilate a child. I mean, I'm not trying to offend anybody, you know, but I would never do that to my kid. And these oh, people... Now, listen, I just... 
we'll get into the you, Diana, need to have 44 children speech. I'll give this a little bit later in our conversation, uh, and then we'll forward you some uh, some samples. But um, no, I, I look, I agree. I mean, the, the circumcision thing is is medieval and, and brutal and all of that kind of stuff. But but the, the Romanians and the Hungarians, I mean, boy, uh, much more in common than with the, you know, rising North African sea around, right? We do have a lot in common. I don't really know. It's about whatever happened. I don't know how many years ago. There's like old people, you know, but if tomorrow we come and see, you know, and meet each other on the street, I'm not going to do anything about it. They have a few. They actually put a bomb, wanted to put a bomb on December 1st, which is the Romanian's national day last year. Uh, they put a bomb, uh, <laughs> the extremist. Uh, but it's... You know, they were caught, they're in jail, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there is a, there's, I don't know what's with the tension. I'm not really sure what happened. They just don't really like us. And we are like, well, you don't like us. We're not going to like you either. But I was actually telling my mom that if hell really happens, like if really happens something really bad in Romania, I think I'm going to be a coward and just move to them, to there, you know, to Hungary and ask to be left uh, <laughs> and protected by their wall. I mean, it's well, the you, only yeah, country. look, you, you, you can't fight against your own government and a dangerous external enemy that's in your country at the same time. You, you can't. I mean, there's no, no point. It's tough enough if, you're, you know, if your government has to go into some conflict and you, you, they at least will train you and arm you and be on your side and all. But it, as you say, I mean, the government is attacking anyone who even speaks or, or brings up reservations or concerns about this situation and that is a that is a real disaster you know we were talking about this with um uh, paul joseph watson just about how the more debate is suppressed the worse the outcome is going to be the worse like the more the debate is is the more that people are just screamed down and bullied and and verbally abused and insulted and censored and 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 they're attacked and they're fired and they're just like the more that that happens the more you push down legitimate concerns, the worse the blowback is going to be. You know, like there was this woman, Lorena Bobbitt, had a bad relationship with her husband. Apparently, he didn't let her speak her mind. Eventually, she just cut his penis off in the middle of the night oh. and threw it out in the street. You know, the more the more you, you know, we're hoping it's not going to get to, uh, you know, snip, snip, hurl. And then I think a dog ran off with it or something. Like, we don't want that to happen. We want there to be a debate. Uh, but people are so freaked out by all of this stuff that it seems impossible. As you find it with your friends, it's it's it seems impossible, impossible. To, to even have a debate. Exactly, it's really hard, especially because uh, I'm telling you, I just finished school. Yeah, I mean, my mind is still fresh out of school to say so. We didn't learn anything about it. The schools are basically brainwashing the children. And we are all just fools. We just agree with everything the government says and does. We just uh, doesn't matter if our people are dying. Let them be here. Let them come here and take our land and blah, blah, blah. People are just... Um, I was actually talking to my mom, uh, and she told me that people are tired. Like, her generation, they've been in the... What is it called? God, I forgot the name. Uh, <laughs> uh, when the communism government fell in here... The, yeah, in 89. Uh, my yeah. parents had been there, my mother actually, because my dad was in the army. Uh, and she told me, we are tired. We've been fighting for so long and we thought that we're going to give you a better life if you get out of the communism state and so on, you know. But they're just tired. And the ones that are like me, 
that my age, we are strong, we are powerful, we're like in big condition, right? We can go out there and strangle someone if we want to, and if it comes to it, but we're not going to do it. Why? Because we are cowards? I'm scared. I'm, I'm honest right now. I'm scared as hell. No, you, I, you have... Look... Uh, look, I, I would never think that you're a coward. I, I don't think anyone who calls into the show, particularly about these topics, is a coward. But where are your allies? Nobody. You know, exactly. if, 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 if you're in the First World War and there are like 5,000 Germans with machine guns on the other side of no man's land, are you going to go over on your own? Of course not. You, you exactly. need people on your side in order for there to be any legitimate conflict we're, we're not even remotely in the place where we can even have a debate because we're still trying to win the hearts and minds of people who have at least enough unindoctrinated brain cells rolling around in their head to form a coherent thought and tie their damn shoes not together but in order to be able to get somewhere so we're still trying to build up enough allies to even remotely start to have a debate you know and and of course i hope that the debate is going to solve the problem debate facts oh. reason evidence it's going to solve the problem it's not that you're a coward i mean Who's on your side? Who's even willing to listen? Yeah, nobody. That's the thing, nobody. And that really hurts, you know, because I was actually thinking about making a YouTube video telling why not to get immigrants. Maybe this way I'm going to, you know, reach more people. Maybe people are going to wake the hell up. But you are right. I mean, if unless you want to go <laughs> on a suicide mission and you're not going to solve anything with that, then you're better off staying at your house and biting your tongue and just whatever happens happens but uh, well no no hang on hang on it's a it's a little bit of what they call a false dichotomy like one or the other you don't have to go rambo uh, but you don't and and you shouldn't right because there still is enough room and time for um for a conversation but the alternative to going rambo is not going under the under the mattress and wait like go hide under the bed until you see what like you you can go and, and engage the public in the robust debate that they hate you know we we've been lazy we've been comfortable for so long that we're just not used to doing difficult things and you know i was thinking about this the other day you know i mean i, I understand what your mom is saying i guess i'm close to her age but yeah you know it does get a little bit tiring fighting irrationality like i've been doing it for over 30 years uh, and um, it, you, you get a little worn down, but what happens is that, that events escalate to the point where it's like, okay, fine, I'll just shoot some cocaine into my eyeball and go back into, <laughs> into combat. So um, I, I understand that. And, you know, when I was a kid, like with your mom, right, the big, the big enemy was communism. And, you know, come, come 89, everyone thought like, woohoo, the assholes are, do are done, good, woohoo, yeah. you know, we've done with communism. And then it's like, hey, what's that on the other side of communism? Islam! And it's like, oh, okay, who's after Islam? Uh, uh, I don't know yet. Uh, but but it's like, it's it's a bummer because, I, you know, I, what the heck did I think about? I mean, I knew a couple of Muslims growing up and I was actually friends with one of them. But I didn't really think about this because there were like three in the whole school of, of 2,000 kids back when schools in the West had 2,000 kids rather than four adopted kids and two janitors. But... Um, uh, now, like, okay, so we, 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 we beat communism, and that did take a lot of effort, uh, of course, more so on your side of the Iron Wall or the Iron Curtain than my side. And now it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess there's, there are backup assholes behind the communists. And uh, aloha snack bar. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, so, so the, those who've been in the fight are kind of tired, but there's a lot of people who just 
don't oh, want to yeah. be bothered. They just like, yeah, give me, give me peace and quiet for the next five minutes. Give me peace. Don't bother me for the next 10 minutes. I'll maybe I'll look into this tomorrow or next week or next month. And uh, that is, um, I mean, tra- frankly, culturally, that's a, this is a suicidal position. Exactly. That's why I'm even mad. Like, I was not patriotic. I want you to understand the fact that I hated my country for so long. Like, I was embarrassed. I was speaking to people from America, from England, you know. I was saying I was ashamed to admit that I'm from Romania because of the humiliation that we had to go through with the gypsies and the scandal that happened. Um, and now, the more I... The more I grow up, the more I understand that, you know what, I don't really have what to be ashamed of. Like, we don't have a, uh, we don't have a bad history in Romania. I mean, we are, as I said before, we're peaceful people. We don't have, we haven't killed anybody and so on. Um, and it bothers me so much when nobody tries to protect what we have. Nobody cares about the families. I mean, they're probably going to take their families and leave. Uh, nobody cares about the fact that it's our history in here. I mean, not everyone might have like the richest history, like my family that uh, does, but they've been here for at least a generation. Their children have been here, you know, they have, they are, whether or like it or not, they're citizens of this country and we should protect it. But nobody wants that. And I don't know why it's so shameful to say you want to protect your country. Like, look at Germany. How could possibly happen? I mean, oh, no, no, was- no. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, I mean, I don't know how, you know, how many red pill cannons you want to take to the head, but uh, it's perfectly fine to want to protect your own country and your own culture unless you're white. Oh, oh, yeah, of course. No, seriously, like, you've got to, like, nobody says to the Jews, I mean, uh, nobody reasonable, nobody in the the West, nobody says to the Jews— you got to take in four million Muslims because you know they're right next door, and 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 you you know because they'd say, well, look, if we take in four Muslim four million Muslims, we're no longer a Jewish country, and so if you're Jewish, and then it's fine for you to want to protect your own country and your own culture. If you're if you're a black man, it's perfectly fine to be to be proud to be a proud black man to be proud of of, of your history and and to be proud of this and that and the other. And if you are Japanese, it's fine for you to be proud of your con- your country's history and its contributions to the arts and sciences and so on. But if you are a proud white person, you are automatically a KKK racist who wants to kill six million Jews and somehow lock everyone else who's not white into a dungeon. So. Uh, ethnic pride, um, uh, cultural pride, national pride, uh, racial pride, all of this is encouraged for everyone and damned for white people. That is the racism that white people experience in the world that it's still going to take a couple of years of heavy pounding to get anybody who's outside, and a lot of whites too, to just wake up to this basic fact that the world is drowning in anti-white hatred, in anti-white racism. This idea of white privilege is just something that people make up I don't have so white that privilege. they can be so they can act with hatred towards whites. You you elevate people and give them unjust privilege so you can hate them. It's why socialists uh, create this this evil rich because they want to take money from the rich. And if you want to do evil to people, you have to dehumanize them. And the best way to do that is to give them imaginary powers. People do it with the Jews. People do it with the rich. People do it with the white people. And they say you people are evil. And they do that so that they can verbally abuse people, browbeat them, grind them down, and take their shit. Oh, yeah. Take their stuff. Take their stuff is a better way of putting it because that makes more sense. (laughs) Exactly. They're not taking uh, 
everything. Yeah, there's there's nothing the wrong with having a wall. There's nothing wrong with keeping immigrants out. There's nothing wrong with keeping incompatible cultures out unless you're white. And then you're just an evil racist. And that is such a racist position that you have completely opposite standards only for white people. That that which is permitted to all other ethnicities is specifically denied and attacked in white people is incredible racism. It is the Jim Crow of the modern era that white people are not allowed to protect uh, white culture. And that is, and not only are they not allowed, it's absolutely evil for them, uh, for us to, to do so. And I just, you know, as a philosopher, I'm not a big fan of double standards. I'm not a big fan of rank hypocrisy. And either it is bad for everyone to protect their own country and culture, in which case we all better go down to, 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 to Jerusalem and we better all go down to Israel and start pulling down that wall because that's just plain bad. Or it is okay for cultures and ethnicities to protect their own way of life, their own history, and their own country, in which case the people bagging on white people are just racist hypocrites. Yeah, you see what's the problem? Like uh, here in Romania, people don't are not really racist against Romanians because most of us are white and everything around us is white as well. Um, so there's not this thing of... Um, I've never heard of white privilege in Romania or male privilege. As I said, here things are pretty good. We are pretty late on coming with uh, America and their weird-ass feminist Nazis and blah. Um, good, because that that's the more dangerous import than the migrants because that's yeah, the one that enables everything else. But sorry, go ahead. But the problem is that the people that haven't been brainwashed like the ones from America and where it happened, they are already so stupid. I mean, I'm sorry, my friends are such morons and there are people that finished college and there are people that finished universities and have good jobs. But And that's the biggest problem. They don't even need to be brainwashed to have no interest whatsoever. That's the real definition of an ignorant person. They don't care. I'm not ignorant if I say that I don't support feminism. Uh, I'm not ignorant if I say to a black person or any other person of color that he's a douchebag just because I'm white. But these people that refuse to admit that there is a problem, that these people are coming to invade us, and not only Muslims or anything like that, there are other people that shop their, uh, their culture to us. Like, they're trying to replace it. This is not, um, you know, multicultural stuff. There's, this is basically trying to replace the population with them. And as I said in Romania here, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but the people haven't even been brainwashed. I mean, nobody tries to make people feel guilty for being white. It never happened in here. But we already do. Like, there are so many people that do. They're never go- They're never going to say that. Well, I well they've been they've been consuming American movies and television, right? Which is I all no chock full of anti white hatred. Yeah, I have no idea what's wrong with them. I mean, I mean, we haven't even been taught in school that you know it's nothing against us. That's what I'm trying to, to understand. Where these people, why they don't care at all, at all about their country? Well, now actually, just now it hit me. Uh, Romania has been seen so badly by other people. Like, our governments, every single freaking time a president or a prime minister or everything else happened, Romania is this, Romania is that, only in Romania, you're going to see on the news happening, like, I don't know, a dude robbing an old lady, you're going to see, only in Romania. What the hell are you talking about? And if people don't really search and they don't look on the internet and don't they don't see other countries, they're going to be, oh my God, Romania is so bad. And I'm talking about Romanian people, not the ones from outside, because the ones from outside already have that 
that in their countries, you know? Um, and I think that's that's how it started. It just now hit me that that's how it started. That's why we hate ourselves so much. Well, I mean, Hungary doesn't hate themselves. Hopefully they won't, and neither does Russia. Uh, well, no, but, they, they don't hate themselves to the point where they're willing to open the borders to all this mess. Now, I can tell you why this stuff happens, and I can actually tell you fairly briefly if that's of interest to you. Please let me, please let me know, because I'm not, uh, I'm seriously wondering why. And sure. It white, white, and I, I, I'm going to say white people, and I don't mean all white people, and I mean European history, and there's lots of other different ethnicities, but just, you know, for the uh, sake yeah, of, because yeah, yeah. when I say Europe, does that mean North America, and Europe and European derived, blah, 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 right? so I just say white people, right? Although yeah. it's not a great term, it's the best there is, I think. So white people have two things. They have resources, and they have empathy. And oh, yeah. that is not a good, it's a great combination for white societies, because, you know, with additional resources, you can help uh, people. Uh, you know, you can help the, the poor. You can help the people who, you know, through no fault of their own need, need resources. They got sick and whatever. And so so uh, white people have resources and they have uh, empathy, which is why white people have, you know, given equal rights to women, uh, why white people worked so hard and fought so hard to end slavery, and why white societies tend to be where everybody wants to be. You know, that the whole non-white planet is screaming how terrible, evil, and racist white people are, and then the first thing they want to do is move to white countries. Like, are you, like, that makes no sense, right? It makes no, no. sense at all. You know, it's like exactly. not a lot of influx of, of people who fled Nazi Germany, like the Jews and, and the, the, the homosexuals and the people who fled. Not a lot of them saying, boy, wait, are you I can get back into Nazi Germany? Really? Fantastic. I'm going. Man. I mean, no, it's ridiculous, right? So what happens is politicians um, buy votes. So they need a source of stuff to hand out to people, right? Now, you can't take stuff from white people, run it through the government, and hand it back because white people are smart enough to figure out that that's a loss, right? The politician says, here's $1,000 now. I just need to tax it $2,000 so that I can write. I mean, they go, well, that's a bad deal, right? So if white people already have resources, the government can't give them resources without taking from white people to begin with. So it doesn't work very well. So what politicians want to do is they want to take from white people and give to non-white people. And by non-white people, I mean lower IQ, non-white people on average, right? The Hispanics and, and the blacks and so on, right? Because you don't, you, you, can't, you can't take from white people and give to Japanese people in, in, in white countries because the Japanese people are making more money than the white people. So they don't, they don't need it because they're smarter than white people on average, right? So, uh, but I don't think that they have that same pathological altruism, that excess of compassion that has produced some great things and now is producing some really disastrous things. So politicians want to take from smart people and they want to give to less intelligent people. That's how they buy votes because the smart people and the less intelligent people, they have the same Votes. One person, one vote, right? Now, exactly. there aren't enough East Asians uh, and uh, there aren't enough Ashkenazi Jews to take a bunch of stuff from to buy a whole bunch of votes. Plus, those people have very strong in-group preferences and strongly resist outside predation, whereas white people have this whole universally uh, universality, kumbaya, all people are created, all men are created equal, all women are created equal. That's not the case. You know, the, 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 the Jews are very much like, you know, we're the chosen people and there's the goyim and, you know, not all Jews. But, the, you know, the theology is 
is pretty clear yeah. that the Jews are superior and everyone else uh, is, you know, regretfully non-Jewish, <laughs> I guess you could say. Although, you know, some people, some of the more extreme uh, Jewish theology is around, like, use them as, as cattle and like the non-Jews and so on. And so you can't really guilt the Jews into giving up stuff, but, oh, certainly not since the Holocaust and for, for damn good reason, because they, you know, they close ranks and they, they keep their stuff for themselves. It's the same thing with the... Um, with the East Asians, they, they close ranks and they keep their stuff for themselves. So they have stuff, but there's not enough of them and there's not enough of that stuff to hand out to, to millions of people. And also they close ranks and, and keep their resources to, to themselves and they're smarter. And I don't think they have the same level of empathy as your average Caucasian. Now, white people are in the sweet spot for um, prey, being preyed upon by the political process. There's lots of white people, they have lots of resources, and they have an excess of empathy. And so, and, and they have this concept of universality. And so what you need to do to manipulate white people is you need to tell them that they're bad whenever you want to exploit people. You have to verbally abuse them continually first. You have to tell them that they're bad. And then you have to hide the facts about IQ and cultural differences and religious differences and so on. You have to hide all of that stuff from them because then you can say, listen, these people who are poor, right, these Hispanics, these, they're poor because you're racist, you evil, white, patriarchal, privileged bastard. You're racist, and basically you're rich because they're poor. You stole from them. You stole from them. You know, like like the blacks say, uh, get these messages on, on YouTube. Some oh, blacks oh. say, you know, well, you, you know, you, uh, white people owe us for 400 years of slavery. It's like, well, no, okay, fine. first of all. White people ended slavery, and 800,000 of them, at least according to the popular narrative, died to end slavery during the Civil War. White people ended slavery around uh, the entire world. You're welcome, planet. Uh, and um, white people have paid massive, like much more than they ever could have gotten from slave labor. They paid in, in welfare and, and affirmative action and, and uh, food stamps and SNAP and, and like you name it, right? So it's uh, nonsense. But so you, you say to white people, you're bad. Everyone's equal, and the only reason you're doing better is because you hate these 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 groups. You hate, and they 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 use the word racist as if white people just don't like all non-white people, uh, and then that's why you can't have Hispanics and uh, Jews in the mix, right? So, and and this is why you know this this you know so yeah, there was white slavery, and it was very small relative to Muslim slavery. And the slaves were treated much better. Why aren't there a lot of blacks in Muslim countries? Because they were killed and castrated. And God knows what, when they were telling you 100 million or more died, uh, are blacks going to the Muslims to ask for reparations? No, because the Muslims don't have this pathological altruism, this ridiculous, overdeveloped, tumoresque empathy that white people seem to have developed, where they, the white people say, well, we'll surrender all of our in-group preferences and everything will be just hunky-dory. And people are like, woohoo! You know, free stuff. White people feel guilty. Right. Let's go get some free stuff. It's you know? like it's like the the entire Western civilization is like roadkill on a highway, and everyone's circling. Ah, ah, ah! Come down and swoop it up with their beaks. So this is politicians are just white people are the cattle, and the um, uh, the the lower IQ minorities are the consumers. And uh, white people, uh, because they give up money, if you make white people feel guilty and you pretend that everyone's equal and the only reason white people are doing better is because of white people's racism, they will give you money to make this injustice right. In other words, the same emotional apparatus that caused white people to fight and bleed and die and spend blood and treasure to end slavery around the world is exactly what makes white people so exploitable by the political system when there are non-whites 
around. And this is so this is why it happens. This is why white people can't ever have in-group preferences without being racists. Because the farmer doesn't want the cow to not give milk, right? And if the farmer's got to scream abuse at the cow to get it to squirt out milk, well, that's what he's going to do. So this is why white people can't have the same kind of any pride. And this is why white people can't defend their own, um, white people can't defend their own cultures and countries because because politicians want to take stuff from white people and give it to low IQ minorities in return for votes. Because the whole political apparatus kind of took a blow when white people became very rich. Because when white people become very rich, which they did over the last 200 years, why do you need all this welfare? Why do you need all of this government? Why do you need all of this crap? Why well, all this parasitical class had to take all that stuff, use it to buy votes, make everyone poor, make everyone fight again, make all these problems. Because when there's a problem, everyone runs to the government. So that's a big, relatively quick sprint through it. But um, th- that's, that's what's really going on. I mean, I'm not sure what's going to happen after this. You were talking about empathy. And uh, the friend that died, one of them was really... Uh, was really into the whole thing, you know, to help them out, to help the people, to accept them, to this and that. He was ready to um, actually pay money, more money. He told me clear that if we need to pay more money for these people to be safe and not have to deal with the bad things that happen, he's going to pay for them. And I was like, obviously, I was not really, and I'm still not, um, what is called, I was not agreeing with him 100%, but... He was a nice person, and now it just stings a lot more, the fact that he was so open and, and so nice to them. And, I mean, obviously, the people that they're not all to blame for his death, right? But it's just like a really big stab in the back. It's just a wake-up call, you know, like a palm that really stings your when it hit your cheeks. Like, it really stings. And Well, I mean, uh, and, and the irony or the, 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 the tragedy of your friends exactly. who said, uh, I'm willing I'm willing to pay more for these people. Well, he to paid. To be safe, exactly. And he paid, he paid. I mean, what, what bigger price can you pay except your life? Uh, I just, as I said, I'm really glad that they didn't have a family because, you know, when people are, ang- are angry and you when you lose um, uh, loved ones, I, I'm, I don't know, I don't think that people start killing others in Belgium, like the Muslim communities, they didn't start setting them on fire like the French did. Uh, but if I were to live there, I'm telling you that I'd go and hunt them down. Even if I sound like the worst person in the world, you took something from me, I want to take something from you. That's just how I see it right now. There's no middle ground anymore. There's no way we can go. And you are saying that we can protect our culture and we, we can protect ourselves. We can. No, yeah, no, you can. You can. You'll just be attacked. You can, yeah, but you're gonna pay the price. And listen, but but here's here's how you can judge the immigrants. I think, and this is not particular to Muslim immigrants, but but oh, you can't judge. Well, you kind of can. Like, I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, like let's say that there was some Japanese policy that that you could go and live in Japan, and you could go and get five thousand dollars a month. For free, so to speak, right, oh. from the taxpayers in Japan. And, I mean, if I were to think of going, not the, I mean, if I were to think of going for whatever reason, I think I'd say to myself, well, wait a minute, I haven't paid into this system. I'm going to go there and I'm going to squat on the necks of the Japanese taxpayers because 
the welfare state was originally supposed to work this way. You pay your taxes. If there's some emergency, we'll make sure you don't starve to death until you get back on your feet. That was sort of how it was supposed to work in the first place. And it wasn't an absolute disaster when it first started and all that. But I would feel really bad. I would feel really bad. And it would stop me from doing it. To to go to Japan and know that all the $5,000 a month that I was getting was coming from a system I had never paid into and it was being paid for against the Japanese people's will, right? Because it's tax money, which means they don't want it. If it's a charity or somebody sponsors me, that's different, right? That's voluntary. Exactly. Now, this to me is one of the basic tests of the whole migrant situation. And one of the basic tests of the whole migrant situation is are the migrants emotionally aware that they're coming here and taking money from a system they never paid into? They don't care, though. Like, why will they care? Like, okay, but that, that's important. That's important. The fact that they don't care, the fact that they don't care means that there's a, an empathy mismatch, to put it as nicely as possible. You know, like when you're nice and someone else is an asshole, we can say there's an empathy yeah. mismatch. So what it means is if they're willing to come and take all of this government money, and in the States, like 90, 95% of the Muslim migrants who arrive go on welfare, and a lot of them stay on it for a long time, if not forever. So, and also there are minimum wage laws, which means that, you know, in Germany, like two thirds of the migrants from Syria are functionally illiterate. And there's been some research that says if, if, if they don't lower and hugely lower the minimum wage laws, these people can never really produce enough value. That, that they're going to be worth, I don't know what the minimum wage is in, in um, Germany, 10 bucks or 20 bucks and 15 bucks an hour, whatever it is, right? So, so they're going to come on welfare. And it's the same thing with the Hispanics, uh, the, the Mexicans moving north or the people from South and Central America moving north into the United States. They come and they get on welfare. Now, no. do they know that they've never paid into this system and that it's the money is being transferred to them against the domestic population's will through the violence of taxation. Now, either there's one of two options. Either A, they do know that and they don't care. Fundamentally, it's like, well, I mean, free stuff, free stuff. Who can say no to free stuff? It's not free. You assholes, it's not free. People are working from dawn till dusk, two jobs, not seeing their kids to pay for you and your hammock and your tequila. So that's, of <laughs> course, not a reference to the Muslims who are not big on the alcohol. But oh. that is the question. Either they do know that they're taking money from people against their will. I mean, that's from a system silly. they hang on, from a system they never paid into, and they don't fucking care. In which case, sorry, you're an asshole. Not you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The people coming in who's like. You're taking money from my pocket through the power of the state. And either you know that's happening, but you want the money anyway, in which case you're an asshole, or you don't even know that, in which case you're not smart enough to do anything of value in this society. Either way, either way, not a fan. Sorry, go ahead. The... 
I don't really know what to say anymore except that I mean I agree with everything you said until now and even now from on probably I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree because that's just how it is but I wanted to say that we should stop trying to find reasons why not to accept these people in our society, in our community, because we have everything we could possibly have against them, right? We have every single reason not to. And right now someone uh, replied to a, a, a comment on my, uh, that I made on YouTube, and they said, the British, the British, sorry, British uh, MI5 and MI6 have said leaving Europe will reduce the threat of Islamic attack on British soil. Uh, so that means the same thing that I said, the government is working against them. So maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not understanding that, but they just told that leaving Europe will reduce the threat of Islamic attacks. So that means we're meant to leave, go to America, go where? And leave the whole continent for them, so the terrorists won't attack us. What is that supposed to mean? Maybe I'm wrong. Please tell me if I'm no, wrong. No, no, sorry, I'm... no. I think I think what they mean is that if 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 England leaves the European Union, then they can close their borders, right? There's a Schengen Agreement, which means if someone comes into the into Europe, you can't prevent them from coming into your country. And they have a referendum this summer, June, I think about whether to stay in the European Union or leave the European Union, which is kind of like having a referendum uh, in the last 20 minutes of the movie Titanic about whether to stay on the boat or not. So I yes. think that's what they're... Yeah. I hope that is, and I hope they're not saying something else. But uh, I spoke with a lot of British people, and they said they want to leave. I'm really curious how this is going to end, because uh, the votes don't really matter. Like, we might... No, vote... no, I don't know about that. I wouldn't give up on that yet. And listen, that's a... A topic for for another, another time. time. I'm going to do a whole presentation on this because um, I mean that's where I grew up, and I have obviously you know I've, I'm half German and half Irish, so um, uh, I um, uh, so I have the gift of the gab from both from both sides. But um, that's a that's a whole other question, and and that may be something that uh, becomes uh, uh, part of uh, what your politicians uh, have to deal with at some point uh, as well. Okay, I gotta get on to the next caller. Although, although, no, actually, I don't, because I, I do want you to to consider consider that um, it may be uh, it may be a good thing for you to have kids at some point in your life. I know youth unemployment is what like twenty five percent, twenty fifteen. It's just a mess, right? But you are wicked smart. Let me tell you. I mean, I know you were saying earlier on in the conversation, you know verbally acute to verbally acute person you were saying earlier oh i'm sorry for rambling i'm sorry for crying i'm don't be you are a volcano intellectually i just really wanted to to drive that point home you are about as smart as they come and you're you're young <laughs> i mean you're 18 and going on 19 and uh you know i i you know huge props to your family huge props to you know nature <laughs> and to you for for developing your intellect and you know in english you know that's just why we haven't switched to romanian because my romanian sucks so um you have and of course you know you, you don't want to circumcise uh, i assume that you've heard or at least would be interested in some of the messages that i talk about in terms of peaceful parenting and all that so you are a uh, a golden goddess of potentially excellent fertility and um i uh i just like to make the case you'd be a great mom a great mom. And 
we do have to do something to carry on the culture and the civilization that birthed us. In my opinion, I'm not saying, you know, there's an old thing about, you know, women uh, who, who don't want to have sex. Lie back and think of England who needs her sailors or whatever it was, right? I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that um, as, as a father, and I, I never really thought that much about being a dad. I always knew I'd be a really good one, but I just never really thought about it. But uh, being a dad, um, you know, this show, my wife, my daughter, that's, you know, my friends, this is my sort of holy quadrinity. I don't know what you'd call it. But um, I, I, if there's any part of you that, that thinks it would be great, and it is great, I would sure hate for you not to have that opportunity to be a great mum with regards to the aforementioned 44 kids. Um, and um, I just hope that it's something that you will not necessarily throw out the window as yet. I mean, people had kids in 1939, right? People had kids in 1915. Soldiers coming home from war had kids in 1917. Um, people have been having kids in troubled times since time began. And there's almost no time in history where there weren't desperately troubled times. Your parents had kids under communism. And we don't face anything that bad. So be of strong mind and open womb <laughs> as far as that goes, that things are not as bad as that to the point where we should all just give up. I, I, you said about my parents having children in the communism days, and it's true. My, my siblings were born in uh, 84 and 85, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Uh, they're older, much older than I am. Um, and, and nobody but, knew it was just about to end, right? Yeah, nobody knew that. I mean, my mother didn't even go to uh, when the revolution started. She didn't go there because, oh, my God, let's kill him. No, she went there because uh, with uh, her cousin and her, her husband, like her cousin's husband, they just went there because they were curious what was going on. Nobody saw that coming. Like, nobody. But I wanted to point out that communism in Romania was not bad. It was not um, this kind of extreme that people keep talking about, like Stalin and all that. No, it was good. Uh, they were actually really, they did everything we should do right now, you know, like not killing people. They never killed anybody, as I said. They were not racist people, uh, Ceausescu and all that. But the young generation had a house, like if you wanted to leave at 17 from home, you would have not only a job, and you did not need to have, uh, I don't know how many PhDs and all that, you know, like you do now. Uh, but you had a house. You could start a family anytime. Uh, a job. You had a secure job. Like, nobody's going to take the job away from you. And there's a lot of people my mom's and dad's age that said the the revolution started from outside. Like, a few Romanians were paid off with a few dollars and... Everything was bad, and, you know, nobody saw it coming. That's the problem. Nobody saw that coming. And I guess, I mean, there are so many people regretting the communism days in Romania that I'm also starting to see, and I started to do my own research. You know, I'm not the kind of person that it just goes with the flow. Uh, but that's the thing. I mean, I wish I was born earlier, <laughs> and it's not because of the music and all that. No, I wish I was born earlier, because I probably have a better chance at life than I do now. Even if I do have a chance at life right now, because unless I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to get killed, I can do anything. So. Well, this is, uh, you know, and, and certainly there's, there's no way that uh, the communists would have let 
um, Muslim migrants in. And and this is this is a great tragedy too. Where you know I I see the comments too where people are like, yeah, missing Hitler yet? You know, because there's no way Hitler would have let I that said something uh, this situation uh, and and. You know, when, when you're in a situation where people are starting to get nostalgic for Stalin and Hitler, you might want to recalibrate your moral perspective a little and, and recognize just how bad things are getting. You know, people are made like communism, Ceausescu, uh, Hitler, Trump. Look at Trump right now. Um, they're made to be these ba- bad, big assholes on TV when they're actually not. I mean, <laughs> Hitler, yeah. Um, but... They're not the only ones. There's a lot of people behind them, you know? They're just the puppets that we see on TV or whatever you see them. Uh, but they don't have the control people think they have. Like, honestly, now, did they believe that Ceausescu, for example, uh, had all this control over Romania and that he did this and did that? No. Uh, the big problem was that Ceausescu was an atheist. Like, he did not believe in God or something like that. We're not sure exactly what it was, because I never met him, obviously. Um, but he destroyed some churches, and people got mad. And in this country, uh, the church has a lot to say, unfortunately. Even though it doesn't have anything to do with politics, they have a lot to say, and people follow. Uh, so that's the problem with communism. And, you know, I mean, I don't see how that, as as you said, if we start missing these people that messed up big time, then you realize something is wrong. I would rather have him, I would rather be in a communism state than to be in this democratic state and have my rights uh, wiped off the ground. No, not. They are just, they're on the paper. They are not, uh, you know, they're not real things. They are just on the paper and people can check in. Oh, yeah, you have this, then this, and this, right? But you don't really have them. I mean, I'm seriously curious where they're gonna, um, when they're gonna allow the... Muslims to sit, the immigrants, sorry, not the Muslims, the immigrants, because there are more than Muslims in there. Uh, because we're not really short on space, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> add 500 people or how many they want to add, and you're going to be short on space. Well, look, I mean, the, the, the very big picture view of all of this is that governments have been growing and governments have been growing and governments have been growing. Now, I'm not talking about Romania, you know, 1989 to 1995 <laughs> or something, but in, in the West, like in Western Europe, in, in, in North America, governments have been growing and governments have been growing. And people like myself have been out there sounding the alarm for decades, saying, if you continue to allow the government to grow, disaster will come to your country in one form or another. Now, I have for many decades. One of the first book proposals I ever sent to a Canadian publisher was The Evils of the Welfare State. And I started working on it. Of course, I was naive enough to think that people wanted to debate about that stuff. But um, the reality is that Western Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand, you know, the the Commonwealth, so to speak. Well, we, we let government kind of get away from us. Government just went nuts. Now, some of it had to do with the wars, some of it had to do with female voting preferences, and, and it's a whole bunch of... Comp- but, but most of it is fundamentally ideological. And governments got huge. We had a giant welfare state, and people said the welfare state is going to bankrupt us. And all that's basically happening is the Muslims are going to come in and finish off the welfare state, because 
Westerners were unwilling to live by the principles of their ancestors and rely on private charity rather than government coercion. Uh, we sold our souls to the devils of the state in return for pocket change and 30 pieces of silver. And that's the basic reality that the Muslims are coming in because there's a welfare state. And this is what happens. You know, if you keep throwing, if you're too lazy to take your, um, your meat scraps to the dump and you just keep throwing them out back, one day you're going to be out there sitting in your hammock and suddenly you can look up, you're going to be surrounded by about 4,000 grizzly bears. And it's like, oh, I guess I should have, I guess I should have just taken my meat scraps to the dump. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's your epitaph. Should have taken his meat scraps to the dump, was killed and eaten by 4,000 grizzly bears. And um, this is the result of people not listening to von Mises, to, to Milton Friedman, to um, uh, all of the um, small government advocates, um, Murray Rothbard and yeah, all of Ayn Rand, all of the small government advocates, people were like, ah, don't be silly. What, what could go wrong? Well, you know, now we see what's gone wrong. You know, we're looking up from our hammock and there are 4,000 grizzly bears around. And, and so, look, they're, they're going to take down the welfare state because Westerners were too lazy, too cowardly, too false to amoral to do it themselves. And so you, you, we left the door open, and now we've got uh, some challenges in the house. And the, um, the Muslims are going to uh, take down the welfare state. Because now, like this is the, the demographics of it are ridiculous, because at the same time, as we have an increasingly aging population and, as you pointed out, significantly high youth unemployment, these two forces coming together... Well, the old people are retiring, so not only are they not paying taxes, now they're consuming huge amounts of uh, medical resources and uh, pensions and so on. There aren't young people to replace them. That's bad enough. But when you bring in hundreds of thousands or millions of dependent Muslim migrants who are never going to get jobs, the significant proportion of them, never going to pay taxes, and they're consuming the last scraps at the table, of course it's going to, I mean, this is, this is the, because, because Westerners were unable or unwilling, unwilling is the word, Westerners were unwilling to take on the growth and power of the state. The state is so big now that it can pretend to feed both the elderly and the migrant population with a vastly underemployed youth and massive amounts of unfunded liabilities and huge numbers of government workers and so on, and it just can't. And this fantasy that the government can do everything and has infinite resources and everything can be free if you just vote for it, which is a delusion that has gripped the Western mind for the last century. Well, you don't listen, you don't listen, you don't listen. And I, you know, even in this very show, I called on people in my very first big public speech. I called on people to, to really bring the argument to people in a vivid way. I called it the against me argument. We can put a link to it below. I said, we've got to make things vivid. Otherwise, evil will continue to expand and the disasters of the state will continue to escalate. And we don't even know what they're going to be, but they're going to be terrible. And, you know, some people praised me for that speech. A lot of people thought I was crazy, crazy. Why oh, you can't put your relationships on the line for mere virtue and ethics and values, for heaven's sakes. 
Well, okay, then how the fuck are you going to fight people willing to blow themselves up for their values? You can't. You can't. I mean, we can. The more, we don't want the more, to. No, you can't. You can't. Because you, you see this with your friends. You can't because none – I'm not saying go physically fight, but you oh, can't yeah. even intellectually because none of your friends are willing to stand up. So this is just what happens when you don't control the size and power of the state. Disasters come from every single conceivable direction. And so because people weren't willing to control the state and weren't willing to take on central banking and weren't willing to take on fiat currency – the government can go and have all these wars, destabilize the living crap out of the Middle East and still pretend it has enough money to pay for a whole hundreds of thousands of, of permanently economically dependent migrants. We can't. And, and reality is, you know, we're, we're like somebody in the late, late stages of cocaine addiction who's taking so much cocaine that they're either going to die or they're going to wake up in hospital and be locked away and never be able to take cocaine again. Like they, they, complete, we're completely unable to stop ourselves at this point. Uh, maybe it was too late eight years ago or 10 years ago when I started the show, or maybe it was too late 33 years ago when I started talking about this stuff with people. I don't know. I'll never know. I'm still going to continue to go on as if it's not because the alternative is to give up completely and never get out of bed again. So this is just the result of people not listening to reason. And, and it's people in the West not listening to reason. Uh, people in the West who say, oh, yes, we should, uh, violence is bad. Oh, well, taxation is force. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Okay. Okay, you don't hear that. You know what you're going to hear next? Allahu Akbar. Boom. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what we're going to hear. I mean, I already expect them to walk on the street and, uh, <laughs> you know, but I, want, I said once that, well, this is a prison we created. The people from west we created that right and now it's up to us to get out if it's gonna be by vi with violence well so be it because that's just how it is right now it's gotten to a point like you said you are the only one that's running his mouth and nobody listens to it they call you crazy they call you this they call you that they tell you that they're busy that they don't create care that they have work tomorrow well too bad darling you're not gonna have the work tomorrow because someone else is gonna take your place or <laughs> you might be dead or like the building that you go to work in is gonna be blown up i mean good luck going there it's it's hard when you're by yourself and yeah i was thinking about fighting uh we can fight against it if people wake up like you said but uh alone i mean who's gonna go i'm gonna he go here in romania you're gonna go in canada this one's gonna go in italy like what five or six people what's gonna solve nothing because there are so many like when uh, i watched your video actually i was watching your videos when my mom told me about what happened at the airport and um, after that, I watched the one where, uh, with the statistics, statistics, how many people are, uh, Muslims in Belgium and all that. And I was like thinking, where is the population? Like the Belgian population, at least half of it must either be scared shitless and not do anything against the uh, six numbers of people that were, you know, Muslims and all that. And I wonder like how many agree with that? How many agree with the terrorism ways I was just shocked when I saw the statistics. Statistics. Oh. Ah, I can't speak. Sorry. Um, but I wonder. I'm sorry to interrupt, but the statistics are like, you know, it's some places like 80% of Muslims support uh, like crazy stuff that goes wildly against Western values. Now, imagine if there was a poll that said, that, that showed that 80% of whites uh, thought that blacks shouldn't have civil rights. Do you, do you think that would be all over the news? Do you think that would be 
plastered front and center and sky writ on the leftist media as a whole? Of course it would be. But the fact that they're actively covering up the basic facts of the Islamic belief system, um, well, that's, uh, uh, that just means that they're colluding. Uh, and um, it's pretty traitorous, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. that is, I said that a long time ago, that the traitor should pay the price, not us. But you said, do you think he's going to be on the news? No, he's not going to be on the news. You know why? Because we'd probably be burned alive. If tomorrow people, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We already have people dying that never did anything and children raped. I don't want to be raped. I never had a problem in my life. I can walk the streets. Okay, it's not that safe. I mean, it is safe, okay? I can stay on my phone, on the phone with my parents or with a friend and I know I can get home safely. But if I walk around on the street, I don't want to be raped, sir. I don't want my life destroyed. I don't want to carry that son of a bitch child. I don't want that. And I feel like if right now white people would go and vote, if let's pretend we the things are going to keep civil enough that we're going to vote, yeah? We'd be dead. I mean, there's probably a bomb waiting for us uh, there where the vote is happening. There's probably a uh, bomb waiting for us a few steps back and so on. Or just another going around and shooting us. I mean, it's not like it didn't happen before, right? Uh, we wouldn't have the ability to vote because we'd be dead before we even reach the point where we can vote. That's just how it is. And obviously, let's pretend we're not going to die. Well, we're going to die after we vote. <laughs> if we don't die before, you're going to die after. Because we're probably going to... They're going to come and set fire set everything on fire or, or whatever else they're gonna it's not it's not like we we can you know change it it's not like you can have a discussion with these people because they don't want to talk to you they just want bloodshed and that's it they just want blood and they don't care uh who has to suffer for it even though they have no right whatsoever to ask for stuff i'm not even gonna mention free stuff let's say they ask for stuff they're not. They don't have that right. A lot of of, of uh, children are gonna be left without a family. As I said again, uh, <laughs> I mean a lot of families that are now they're missing a member or two, right? The the parents of my friends cannot have another child. They can't have another child to fill the empty space, even though the space will never be filled. That space is forever gonna be empty. But they can have something that's gonna make the pain feel uh, less as you know less stronger. They're, they can't do anything about it except mourn and cry and just beg for a change or other lives not to be lost. You wanna know what uh, the father of the friend that was uh, supporting them told me? He told me that he is gonna he's wishing that every single person that agrees with that religion is gonna die in the worst way possible. He was wishing that they're going to burn alive just like his kid has been killed without any kind of blame. And he was so fucking mad by the fact that the kid, his kid, that the kid died now. He doesn't exist on this earth anymore. He was with them. He was pro them. He was trying to help them. He was not some kind of a crazy nutter going around and being, oh, pro-Islam and all that. Let them leave. I mean, he told us to let them leave, you know, but he was not terrorism and all that he just wanted the people to be fine he wanted the people to be healthy and happy 
well, too bad that didn't happen. And the hatred, and the hatred and the pain you could feel in the parents' voices when they were talking to us, uh, I can't even put it into words. I mean, I'm mad, and I didn't even know them for so long. I can't even go to the funeral. Not only because I'm scared, and I, I, I can travel there, but, you know, it's distance. We all have jobs and stuff. But the parents taught the child, Diana. I mean, I, I hate to even step in this direction, but the parents taught the child. Yeah. They taught they... the child his values. Exactly. His, uh, let's embrace, let's bring them in, let's be friends. If, if the parents teach the child that the tiger is a friend. Well, and listen, I, I don't want that's a, that's a tough road to go down, but it's kind of, so uh, beliefs have have consequences. And the last thing, i got to move on to the next goal. last thing I wanted to say, first yeah. of all, really, really enjoyed the chat. But last, last thing I wanted to say was um, the, the, the great challenge for Europe is that men are going to have to work hard um, to defend the continent. And I'm, you know, we're just talking verbal conflicts here. Let's hope it can stay at that level. But, but here's the challenge is that when Men across the West have been told for a generation or two that their evil, misogynistic, patriarchal exemplifications of rape culture, you know, that they're just, they're, they're bad people and they're racist, they're sexist, they're misogynistic, they, you know, war on women. And when, when men have been told that for a long time, the only reason they believe it and, and are subjugated by it is they say, wow, these feminists must really, really, really hate rape cultures. They must really, really hate rapists. They must really, really hate misogynists. They must really, really hate people who put down women and don't grant them equality. And then when they see those same women turning and embracing the genuine rape culture of North Africa, where one in three men admits to having raped a woman, I mean, that's, that's insane. Oh my God. And so when, when men have been told for so long just how bad and rapey they are, and then they turn around and see these same women embracing, giving candy to, and hugs, and inviting in, and, and screaming at anyone who expresses any doubt. What they understand, and what men are awakening to at the moment, is the degree to which it's all just been bullshit verbal abuse. It's all. The feminists don't care about rape culture, otherwise they wouldn't be inviting it in. The feminists don't care about women who are put down by men, otherwise they wouldn't be inviting Islam of all, of all the belief systems you could conceivably imagine. This, this, like, it's insane. And so men are waking up, and it's making a lot of men really angry, really angry to see all of this happen. And so now that men know that they've basically just been shit on by a lot of women, and those women don't care about the values, they were just using the niceness of the white men to, to torment and torture and sadistically hurt their emotions. Now, of course, these same women are going to come rushing to the men and saying, help us and save us. And, oh, um, yeah. I got to tell you, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a bit happen. of an uphill battle to try and get the men to, uh, uh, yeah, okay, you know, I've been, uh, I've been verbally abusing you guys for about 50 years, calling you pieces of shit, basically, uh, and then I invited all of these men in uh, whose culture is exactly the, re the manifestation of what I pretended your culture was, and I invited them in and so on, and now it turns out they're rather dangerous. Can you help us, boys? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's you know that's I don't know. Uh, it might take a lot of this kneeling. Comes a, this comes from a woman, but uh, and I'm telling you, I hope men don't do anything to those. They're crazy bitches. I'm sorry. That's the word for it. Like 
if you don't want the white men, if they are so bad and the culture is so bad, then go, just leave. We should all just send them to Islam and let them, you know, just... But they're bringing Islam in! <laughs> That's the problem, exactly. But, you see, I mean, there's still people that want to protect their children. Like, man, I know that my dad would rather die than had let have something happen to me, right? And so does my boyfriend and so on. But if you really don't want them, just... Let's send them somewhere. This is so stupid. I'm sorry. But I'm just so done with women hating on men, even though they have the best life you could possibly have. And there's no need for feminism because everyone is equal. I've never had a man in my entire life. I really need to get this out. Sorry. But I've never had a man in my entire life disrespect me. The assholes that have been assholes, like, for example, at high school, yeah, they were catcalling and all that. I had... My classmates that were men, they were turned to that guy and told him to fuck off. Like, fuck off, leave her be if she doesn't talk to you. And that was it. The men left, you know? And so did the gypsies even. Like, that's who are aggressive here, mostly, the gypsies. Um, but I've never had a problem with men that did that. I had problems with men that were douchebags and, you know, in the bus and all that. But I always had another man that I never knew uh, take my side. So I don't see the need for feminism because everyone is already equal. We are all uh, on the same level, and they made this—I um, don't this—they made up this lie that white men are such because it's only about white men uh, that these white men are so mean and so bad and so barbaric and they want to kill everyone. No, that's not how it is. I mean, I'm sorry, you might want uh, a circumcised dick, but go and take the circumcised dick, and I'm gonna keep my other one. It's just that easy. And I'm Well, and I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of women who have rape fantasies. Now, I get that oh, it's a God. fantasy, but I mean, I can't like, I mean, women who these 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 facts, these statistics, they're not that hard to find. I mean, does anybody really think that women are well treated uh, in um, in Islamic cultures? And so the fact that the, the, the women want this come in, isn't it? It's, I mean, do, do you want to get raped? Is this like a death wish? Anyway, listen, I got to move on to the next caller, but, but I really, really appreciate your call. You're certainly welcome back anytime. I hope you'll keep us uh, posted, and I hope that you'll continue to fight the good fight. Uh, it is far Thank too you. early to to pack things in, but uh, I really appreciate it. And, and I really, really want to extend uh, my very, very deepest sympathies for Thank you very much. your Thank you for uh, friends. Me. I mean, yes. it, it, is, it is terrible. It is, it is terrible that um, a young person like yourself should have to see the world in its current state of escalating brutality. Uh, it is brutal that you should have had to um, mourn the loss of friends in this uh, terrible attack. And, you know, it is, of course, horrible uh, the, the degree to which uh, people in the Islamic world as the result of our supposedly Christian leaders, have also had to mourn these things. This is not to make your mourning any um, any less valid or important, but um, it is a, it is a tragedy all around, and it all comes down to our continuing acceptance of state power and its uh, its effects. So, um, thank you so much for calling in, Diana, and uh, I hope that you will feel better soon. But I also hope that you will carry the memory of your friends as uh, a northern star to guide your ethics by throughout your life. Thank you so much for having me, for letting me express my opinion. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care. Okay. Well, up next is Kevin. Kevin wrote in, and Kevin does live in Belgium and works in a nuclear power plant in the area. And he also wanted to share his experience of the recent terrorist attack. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Uh, hi, Stefan. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? 
I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm all right. Um, so what's, um, what was it like for you yesterday? What was your day like? Well, uh, yesterday I showed up for work around 7.30. was about uh, an hour in the office until a colleague rushed in. Well, not exactly rushed in, but told us about an explosion going off at uh, Brussels Airport, Zaventem. And uh, so the radio was on. A couple of minutes later, we heard the news on the radio. And it was just uh, uh, pretty amazing stuff. Hearing it uh, develop into another explosion and then uh, explosion at the uh, metro station. It was uh, pretty crazy stuff. So. Uh, a day I won't forget uh, very soon. What were your first thoughts when you heard about these explosions? Well, yeah, as we all know, there there was this terrorist guy, the uh, Abdes Salam. They uh, they brought him in, and uh, most people thought. It had something to do with uh, the guy uh, who was arrested. Most people uh, had thought of it being a, a retaliation or they uh, carried out a terrorist attack because of the arrest. But uh, instantly uh, people were uh, sure of uh, it being a Muslim attack uh, or a Muslim terrorism. Yeah. And I don't know if you heard this. This was sent in by a listener to this show. And he said, if you happen to make a video about the attacks in Brussels, I hope you have use for the following information. As far as I know, this was, the on this was only reported in Dutch-speaking media. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was uh, during the rest of Saleh Abdeslam, around 200 Foreign youth, I guess that's Muslim youth, attacked the police with bottles and stones. Yeah. The state media didn't cover this. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. So, odd. so when the when the police went in, do you hear anything about the when the police went in to arrest this guy? Two hundred youths were were pelting them with with rocks and and whatever. Yeah, it just, it just goes to show that uh, this isn't just um, some uh, guys who are radicalized, it's basically a problem with the whole religion. Uh, the fact that uh, this guy, after having part in the Paris attacks, he managed to stay away from authorities and go undercover for uh, uh, several weeks, months, just goes to show that there's a lot of people in the Muslim community helping out these uh, criminals and uh, yeah, it's really terrible. Uh, there's another um, thing which happened yesterday which hasn't been uh, covered by mainstream media but you can find it online. It was in a school in Amsterdam, mainly uh, Muslim kids and they were actually when the news developed about uh, attacks in Brussels, some classes were actually cheering on the events. 
It's just sure. uh, crazy. Well, it's 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 not crazy um, if one understands the ideology, the ideology and the conflicts and the the desires and the goals. It's not uh, it's not crazy any more than you know people cheer in Star Wars when the Death Star blows up. Yeah, yeah it's that's why I'm uh, more and more people are convinced that it's it's not just some bad people going around being a terrorist but the problem is with islam and well problem is also in the mainstream media in the aftermath of the attacks in paris and in brussels you don't hear a lot of uh, critical thoughts about islam you hear uh, these are two words i've heard constantly during uh, the events unfolding, and those were tolerance and solidarity, but no critical voices about Islam. It's really uh, a shame. Well, a shame. It's it's betrayal. It's betrayal of the Western values. Tolerance is all well and good, as long as the people you tolerate are themselves tolerant. And this is what the tolerance of intolerance is one of these logical conundrums that can't be solved. So it's it's fine um, if if everyone around is pretty tolerant, but as soon as you get a group of people around who are intolerant, then tolerance doesn't work. Like if tolerance is a value, then we should expect all the groups to respect tolerance, and those who don't should be rejected as rejecting tolerance, which is a value. And um, I don't know, but everyone knows that the, the the politicians are simply afraid of confronting these groups for fear of, of violence. It's got it's nothing to do with values. They're just trying to buy five more minutes of peace with the money of the unborn and through the welfare state. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's uh, uh, I know some Muslim people uh, in my private life, and you know. And that's why most people think, yeah, well, most of them are uh, integrated. They don't mean us no harm, but that's only if you scratch the surface of uh, <clears throat> of, of uh, conversations uh, you're having with them. But when you start to say something about or ask them questions about their religion, about their uh, views on uh, ethics or uh, or uh, our culture, they then the conversation really uh, gets uh, another undertone uh, and I've been called uh, quite a few times uh, a racist just because I'm asking the wrong questions to them so and these are people if you look at them at first glance you'd say they are integrated but it would seem that's totally not the case well and and of course the people that that you and I would know. Uh, the, the Muslims that you and I would know would be the more intelligent and sophisticated and cosmopolitan and, I guess, somewhat more secular by the very fact of the reality that we know them. And so that is, um, that's an important thing, that, that, that they're not necessarily representative of the entire Middle Eastern community as a whole. And I had a, a conversation recently in a call-in show with a Muslim. 
And yeah, things were going okay until uh, he talked about, uh, you know, no compulsion in terms of religion. And I said, well, but uh, according to a lot of the imams and a lot of the hadiths and a lot in the Quran, um, the punishment for leaving Islam is death. Well, no, I actually said, and the punishment for leaving Islam is, and he didn't want to answer it. <laughs> didn't want to answer it. <laughs> and the, the moderate Muslims... Um, my question is, when it comes to Western values or more fundamentalist Muslims, who are they going to choose? Yeah. Yeah, also, it's going to come to that. One, one way or another, it's going to come to that. You know, the, um, uh, the, uh, the ISIS is, is pushing um, heavily towards a confrontation with, with Europe. That's their goal this year, is to provoke a confrontation with Europe and to escalate, to get rid of what they call the gray zone, which is people not committed to their belief system, and they include a lot of Muslims in that. And their goal and their purpose is to provoke a conflict between the East uh, and the West that is going to force moderate Muslims to have to choose between fundamentalist Islam and Western secular values. And um, I don't know. Mm. I I don't know where I'd put my money, but I wouldn't put a lot of it on um, them going West rather than East. I mean, do you know how this uh, Abdeslam was? Do you know how he was caught? Was he caught because a bunch of uh, Muslims uh, turned him in? I'm guessing that because uh, the police doesn't get a lot of information from uh, uh, Muslim people, uh, so it's uh, mostly. Yeah, he was hiding in, He was hiding in plain sight in Brussels since the 14th of November. Yeah, exactly. And they fa they found him because of a suspiciously large pizza order. <laughs> right. There was no. Uh, they just, well, they, they, um, they did, there was a suspicious large pizza order. They went and checked it out and, you know, I'll, I don't want to go through the whole story, but it really wasn't the Islamic community that, uh, helped Western authorities find him. Yeah. And, and um, it was uh, a pizza order. Yeah. Statistics pointed out that, uh, uh, I've, I've seen the numbers uh, of uh, the people who are uh, are not against uh, bombings and the people who support having Sharia law. So it, it goes to figure that the people in the Muslim community, they, they, they're not going to give any information about these uh, no. terrorists. Just, uh, no, and this is what's been described to the United States. People say, oh, we've got to be nice to Muslims because that way they'll give us information on the extreme. They don't do that. The FBI director has said we've got practically no help whatsoever uh, on this. Now, listen, I don't want to get too much. We we're doing a whole presentation uh, on Muslim surveys about attitudes towards mm -hmm. Western countries uh, and all of that. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the Islamic State is, is trained at least 400 fighters to target Europe uh, in these waves of attacks. They want to do these interlocking terror cells like the ones that struck Brussels and, and mm. Paris uh, and all of that. And um, it's, uh, th that's, that's their goal. Uh, that, they, they wish to provoke an apocalyptic confrontation between the remnants of Christianity and Islam. Mm. And uh, this has been, of course, part of uh, Islamic expansionism for um 1400 years and 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 you know of course there's been a lot of christian expansionism as well it's just that we criticize christian expansionism like the british empire and so on not so much the other stuff 
And um, so anyway, let, let, let's get back to, to your day. So right. um, after you heard the news and after you began to absorb it, what happened? Well, I guess it was around 9.30. The uh, news evolved into uh, um, they gave the news about the explosion at the metro station. So uh, actually the second site uh, where there was a terrorist attack. And uh, I'm guessing uh, half an hour later, you could see it from the office uh, because uh, the threat level was raised to four at that moment, at that time, and uh, it's the that's the highest uh, threat level in Belgium. Uh, that means that uh, nuclear nuclear power plants are getting um, uh, police reinforcements to up security, and that everybody who is not uh, uh, needed for the operation of the plant critical operations of the plant is uh, asked to evacuate. So after noon, I'm guessing it was about 12.30, uh, I left the plant and uh, yeah, I could spend the rest of the day listening to the news at home. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting because there was a lot of uh, activity, the police coming in and uh, they were um, calling on some people um, for names to uh, to have uh, um, some. They had some questions for uh, certain uh, people. Uh, they were uh, called on uh, the uh, on the radio on site. So uh, yeah, it was pretty uh, intense. Uh, but you know, we also know we were uh, pretty safe in the nuclear power plant because uh, the security measures when they're uh, on a normal day are, are pretty high standard so uh, it's not like uh, you can go uh, come and have a walk in the, the nuclear power plant that's uh, totally not the case so uh, there really wasn't any concern about uh, our safety there but uh, yeah what's uh, pretty exciting itself the whole situation. And what is um, what is the mood among your family and friends? Oh well, uh, it's, uh, when I talk to my family about it, uh, I've talked quite a bit about it. Obviously, the last uh, hours, day, and uh, at first, most most of the family and friends they they start off with. Uh, saying yeah but um, it's not all of them uh, who are bad it's just a small uh, portion of them um, they're directly uh, they're always instantly uh, minimizing the, uh, the the problem because I'm guessing that's because they don't have access to the right information or don't feel like accessing the uh, right information and facts because they just have their mainstream media as the one source for all of their uh, information. I'm guessing uh, that's how they get to have this narrative of saying, yeah, it's, don't, you don't have to blame the, all the people who are uh, Muslim because 
you have this in all uh, all kinds of uh, people and religions uh, a small portion of bad people it's only until you state some facts that they actually begin to think about it uh, uh, you've uh, you've put the numbers in a, in a show earlier uh, only six percent of people in Belgium are uh, Muslim but uh, how much was it? It was about 55%. 45%. Yeah, yeah. And uh, people in prison are Muslim. Uh, it's numbers like that. Like, like that, people, if they don't look it up or, or they aren't being told, they, they won't get it from the mainstream media. And that's the real problem. Uh, like I said before, uh, the, the words you heard most, the two words you heard most uh, in the hours after the attacks were tolerance and solidarity, no critical voices. So, uh, but I can also see opinions, of course, after, after this uh, disaster, they tend to change a bit faster. You, if you, for example, read the comments on the uh, newspaper sites, then you can actually a lot of people are uh, in the comment section of those articles uh, are saying that well yeah uh, this is it's always the same we hear uh, from the newspapers um, and they 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 feel that something is not being told uh, as it should. Mike, did you want to mention just how hard some of these numbers are to get a hold of? Oh, trying to find the the prison population number. I I had to specific. I was looking specifically for that information. I had to dig and dig and dig and dig. And the only reason I was able to find it is because there's information online um, about having to change the menus in the prisons because of the large Muslim population, which is very unhappy with some of the menu choices. <laughs> so, but it's not like you know, headline: forty five percent of prison population is Muslim. It's uh, buried within a footnote of we have to change the prison menus. You know, I'm not sure which is the most important headline. Um, I have my thoughts on it, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's really uh, terrible. You have to. It, it's uh, um, a lot of investigation to get uh, some decent numbers. Uh, well, this uh, there was a great article on uh, GatestoneInstitute.org recently, and uh, well, it's pretty depressing. Uh, because Belgium uh, is supposedly uh, the leading supplier of jihadists to the Islamic State per capita, around uh, 40 jihadists per million inhabitants, compared to the second one, Denmark, uh, that's 27. So, uh, yeah, we all heard, uh, the whole world has heard about uh, Molenbeek. It's uh, I've, I've been there uh, two weeks ago in Brussels and uh, walked through a couple of streets in Molenbeek and it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's like uh, walking uh, in another country. Uh, you don't feel uh, pretty, you don't feel uh, any safety there. <laughs> uh, so it, it seems, it seems that the fact is that um, more people are going to have to die before people wake up. Is that, is it, that the general reality? I, I think it's really that bad, yeah, and that's the problem. If more people are aware of the facts and have an opinion based on those facts, which is correct, then we shouldn't 
people shouldn't have uh, have a need for uh, for these terrorist attacks to change their opinions and i think that's a very big problem yeah and, uh, well, you know, it's it's like it's like the people. This is exactly the reaction you get from people in abusive relationships. <laughs> you know, like the, the the guy beats up his wife, and she's like, "Oh, you know, he'd had a really bad day. I was being annoying. I was nagging him, and uh, he's promised he's it's not going to happen again." Most times, he's really really nice. It's just you know when certain things happen in the same time at the same you know a, a, the, these evil planets align then something happens but i can do better i'm sure he'll do like this is just it, it's exactly the same script that you hear from people who are in abusive relationships right after they've got the crap kicked out of them And and then eventually, you know, when the woman is beaten up so bad that one of her eyeballs is hanging down her cheek, maybe she'll go to a shelter. Uh, and, and and until then, it seems almost impossible to 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 get through to people. So, you know, I mean, I know that people have commented and say, OK, well, if it's not this one, then it'll be the next one, which is going to be bigger. And if it's not that one, then it's the next one, which is going to be bigger. But the best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior. And if you know the history of Islamic imperialism, it doesn't stop magically in the green fields of Europe. I mean, this is what the plan is. It's what the goal is, of course. And the idea, you know, that there's this false dichotomy. It's like immediately you say, well, not every – of course not every <laughs> – Muslims are like that. And not all people in the South are racist. And, and not all Nazis believed in Nazism. I mean, it's, it's complete. Of course, not all Muslims are like that. The question isn't, are all Muslims like that? The question is, would any other native Belgians be like that? That's the question, right? Yeah. Because, you, you know, every, every time someone comes into the country through the tax and welfare system, they're generally displacing somebody who would have been born in the country. So the question isn't, aren't are all Muslims like that? The question is, would your child be like that if they were born, you know, white and, and grew up in, in, in Brussels uh, to, to secular or Christian Europeans? Well, of course they wouldn't be like that. So that's, it's this false dichotomy. It, it, the comparison is not all Muslims. The comparison is or native-born people who would not in any way, shape, or form be like that. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I, rem I remember now uh, listening to the radio um, when I was in the office, uh, and uh, the radio host she was uh, saying, "Yeah, we're getting a lot of messages from people," and she picked out one uh, message she got and uh, was from somebody who said, "Yeah." And now so a lot of people are going to blame uh, all Muslims for this. And uh, she basically said, yeah, that's not the right attitude. And uh, she played some music afterwards, after that statement. And uh, I, I, a lot of people think that way, but I'm, I'm curious to know what other kinds of messages uh, they got at the radio station. <laughs> I suppose they... Uh, they, they won't read those uh, on the air. No, and of course, um, when people say not all Muslims are like that, then I think the rational answer is to say, well, I can only go with the empirical facts. And the empirical facts are there are a lot of Muslims who approve of uh, terrorism and who approve of ISIS and who approve of detonating yourself for, for a particular cause. And so 
that aspect of of things is um, uh, there. There's data, right? You don't have to. Well, not all Muslims, okay, but you know, what if it's fifty percent? What yeah. if it's eighty percent for certain behaviors that go against Western traditions? Okay, then we have a number. That's um, the first aspect to think of in terms of not all this or not all that. And the second aspect is, okay, not all Muslims are like that, but enough Muslims were like that, that they shielded and protected these guys and covered up for them and drove them around and didn't inform on them. And then when the police, and before, there must have been some other people who knew that these attacks were planned and nobody came to the police. So nobody came beforehand. Uh, Nobody came afterwards. These guys were hiding in plain sight in Muslim districts. Nobody turned them in. Nobody called the cops. And then when the cops came to arrest them, 200 Muslim youths were pounding the cops with bottles and bricks. So I don't care. I'm just like all Muslims, no I'm just going by the basic facts. Yeah. Just today, uh, uh, one minute of silence was held in uh, Anderlecht. It's a place uh, not too far away from uh, Molenbeek. And uh, they didn't get their one minute of silence because uh, around 20 people uh, started uh, to disrupt uh, the event. And uh, yeah, again, they caused trouble and the police uh, had to uh, had to do something about it. So it's really... Uh, yeah. Like, I, I just wanted to mention too, because I know that some of these um, terrorists were were native born. I was talking about native born earlier. I mean, sort of, you know, Christian European native born, as opposed to just born in the soil, but but of the same tradition. I'm sorry. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Yeah, but that's uh, another thing. Uh, the most of the people have a lot of problem with uh, the immigration as it is, and correctly so. But um, you see a lot of uh, problems with uh, second, third, even fourth generation Muslims living here who are sometimes even more radical than their parents. Uh, But that's, I don't know if you've listened to a lot of the show, but that's, I don't know the exact answer to that, but it conforms very much with regression to the mean. So the very first, you know, the, the, the smartest Muslims, most likely, if they have the opportunity and, and they have some affinity for uh, more freedom, they're, they're the smartest Muslims, the, the Muslims with the IQs of 120, 130, 140, whatever, they're going to come to Europe. And people are going to say, wow, these are great, <laughs> great people, doctors, lawyers, you know, accountants, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, pay taxes and they work hard and, and you know, and they're, you know, good neighbors and all that, right? So... Um, you know, we talked about this with regards to Hispanics with Jason Richwine, Dr. Jason Richwine. We, you can find this on the show, uh, on the show list uh, at uh, youtube.com slash free domain radio. And so what happens is, but but it's sort of like saying to the NBA, uh, here's, here's what the, the analogy is like this. Okay, there's a seven foot guy from China. And you can have him come to play. In fact, you can have anyone come to play. But you also have to hire all their kids as well. And so they would say, okay, this seven-foot-tall Chinese guy, he's a really good player, but his kids are probably going to be 5'5 or 5'7. So let's go with, I don't know, the Nordics or whoever the tallest are because, you know, they're going to be 6'3 and their kids are going to be 6'3 too. Right, so this this regression to the mean is really really important. So you get the smartest Muslims coming over, but as is the case with almost all genetically influenced behaviors, 
really tall people have kids taller than average, but not as tall as they are. And then those kids have kids maybe a little taller than average, but not as tall as they are. And then you end up with this regression to the mean. You don't just end up with a, a super giant size and short people just keep getting shorter until they turn into atoms and tall people keep getting taller until they turn into redwoods. And so mm. the, the smart Muslims come over, but if there is genetic uh, influences and it seems indisputable that certainly later on in life, 80, 70, 80% of, of your IQ is genetic. Uh, and then what's going to happen is uh, through no fault of their own, through no neglect of children or abuse of children it's you know it's not like it's not like the chinese guy who's seven foot who has a shorter kid has a shorter kid because he starved the kid it's just you know the genetics of the average are reasserting themselves as they always do uh, in in populations and so this idea that well the first generation were really smart really adaptable have danced the dance of of entering into and assimilating to some degree into Western civilization, well, then they have kids who aren't as smart as they are, and those kids have smart have kids who are less smart. So the fact that there's increasing radicalization over the generations uh, perfectly complies, to my understanding, with intelligence and the regression to the mean. But again, because people can't talk about genetics and can't talk about IQ, nobody can make any sense of this stuff, and nobody can make any intelligent decisions about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a topic that's non-existent in, uh, in all media platforms. Yeah, but uh, then you see a lot of people ask themselves, yeah, you got we, we, now we got all those uh, Muslim people here who are third or fourth generation even, and uh, they they are a bit uh, how do they say it, fatalistic about it. They say, yeah, well, we can't do anything about it. They're here now, and and that's about where they end their statement. Uh, but then I'm guessing um, uh, we have, it, a solution could be to uh, try and get smaller government, try to stop the systems where they are leeching off the social welfare programs and everything. And then you'll get riots for sure. I'm not saying yeah. that's why you shouldn't do it. I'm just telling you what the consequences will be. If you cut off the free gravy train uh, to, to these groups, uh, and I mean, this is not just, I mean, there'll be riots maybe among whites as well, probably a little bit less among East Asians, but um, the, the, it, to shrink the state now um, is very, uh, very difficult. And, it, you know, it, it has not escaped my theoretical monkey in its cage that, that never sleeps in my brain, it has not escaped my thinking that one of the reasons that politicians might want to bring these groups in is it makes cutting the welfare state much more difficult. And uh, they don't want the welfare state to be cut because that's how they buy votes. Yeah, and it's, if you just look at uh, Molenbeek, it's one of the 19 districts uh, of Brussels. And uh, it has had a socialist mayor for decades. Um, his name is Philippe Moreau. It's, uh, it's been an international news also, and uh, you basically hear nothing uh, coming, uh, uh, no comments from, uh, from that man or his, uh, or the current mayor, who is also a, uh, oh no, sorry, it's, that's a liberal, the current mayor. But anyway, uh, socialist uh, Mayor did nothing about the problematic and uh, in, uh, the problems in Molenbeek. He just let it evolve. 
naturally, naturally, you could say. <laughs> and uh, now you end up with this district in Brussels where, yeah, as a Belgian, you're, you're not safe there. It's, it's uh, literally uh, little Morocco. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been proven a lot of uh, the um, Muslim men who go to fight in Syria or who commit terrorist acts have connections in Molenbeek or in some way or another. So well, and of course, the, the socialists have this, and this is the same error that was made with the new Soviet man, right? The socialists believe, and the communists believe, and I don't know that there's much of a nickel's worth of difference between the two. Um, and, you know, Lenin said that the goal of socialism is communism. And they believe that we are water, and whatever container we're poured into, because it's it's all environment, right? Your, your whole personality is determined by economics and class structure and and your relation to the ownership of of capital and so on and so this idea they're radical environmentalists insofar as they believe that there are no innate characteristics of human nature that you can mold human beings into whatever you want uh and uh, this so so of course naturally this is why socialists and multicultural fantasies align well together because they say well look the Muslims are the way they are because they happen to be born into the environment of North Africa. But then they come here, they'll adapt, their kids will be born and poured into the the, the vial called um, Brussels. And so they'll be just like, like they, they don't believe that anybody has any particular characteristics. They certainly would never accept any genetic characteristics or, or intelligence um, divergences. So because they believe that there is no essence to anyone but People will just become naturally conforming to their environment. They believed that this multiculturalism was going to work. Of course, all they'd have to do is look inward and say, okay, well, when you're, um, when you're given arguments against socialism, do you accept them or do you just reject them out of hand? And I've argued with hundreds of socialists over the course of my life and their basic response is to you know, put their fingers in their ears, la, 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 and they reject evidence and escalate and abuse and so on. So the the idea that, you know, well, new new environments just make you new. And it's like, okay, well, I'm giving you an environment called arguments for a free market, and you're just rejecting them out of hand, like all fundamentalists do. And so socialists are radical fundamentalists who are almost impervious to reason and evidence. In other words, their environment doesn't matter to their belief system or their and, – and evidence, the accumulated evidence of history – all the way from ancient Rome to Spinum land, which I talked about once on a Peter Schiff show, to the failures of communism, to the failures of socialism, the failures of the welfare state, the failures of government education, they themselves are radically immune mm. to reason and evidence, to the environment called accumulated facts. And so the idea that, oh, human nature is so flexible, it can adapt to anything when they can't even adapt to reality is such an insane idea that I give them no forgiveness for it. Because when you yourself are violently intransigent in your beliefs and then you somehow as the basis of this belief believe that people will just mold themselves to whatever's around them um you don't even have the excuse of you're like that to to uh to hold it up yeah exactly and uh i mean for socialists uh and especially uh, this is the case in molenbeek the socialists mayor uh, who seated uh, there he's been mayor there for I'm guessing almost 30 years or something like that so they also know it's uh, these are people who are going to vote for them because 
yeah, they wave the most goodies around. So it's it's a, it's something. Uh, it's it's in it's because I I don't know how religious Brussels uh, people in Belgium are, but it's a lot easier to go give a speech at a mosque than to go knock on everyone's different door. So there's an efficiency to the bribery uh, in the Islamic community that's not quite as available when people don't yeah. congregate as much. Yeah, it's been known that uh, the mosques in uh, Molenbeek that they. Uh, gave uh, voting advice to vote for that uh, specific socialist uh, mayor so he could get re-elected every time uh, it's 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 for the sh- it's a, almost a win-win situation if you would call it but not in the long run for the socialists because uh, yeah well they don't have the the same belief as uh, as the muslims so that could end up uh, pretty ugly for them in the long run but uh, yeah, they're not really good at uh, long-term thinking. Uh, I've noticed. Right. And uh, how do you feel? You sound a bit uh, down about it all. How do you feel about things? Uh, yeah. There's a lot of questions. Uh, how, how can we change things for the better without uh, inciting violence or uh, using uh, violence ourselves? Because. Uh, it's like uh, you said earlier, uh, it's like uh, stuff like these uh, terrorist attacks, they, they need to happen before some uh, the, the opinion of the masses changes. Um, it, it seems to me like it's always, it gets down to this, um, when people start uh, realize it's it has to change, then they have the option of voting for a, a fascist or something like that, something ex- extreme. And uh, I think that's it, that's very dangerous if, if we go into any uh, kind of uh, extremism to solve this problem because I don't think it's uh, good to fight fire with fire. And uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm just asking myself questions. How, what, what would be the best way to cope with this problem, the problem of uh, Muslim integration uh, turning out to be uh, a fable. Well, yeah, I mean, so Muslims uh, for 60 generations have been not integrating into other cultures, but rather taking them over. And so the idea that, oh, don't worry, the 61st generation is going to completely change. I mean, that's just, uh, that's crazy. I mean, that that's just, I mean, I don't even know. But again, all of this history has to be kept from people. And uh, nature is, um, I'm going to sound harsh here, and I, I apologize for that in advance. These are just my thoughts. This is not any kind of philosophical argument or hard conclusion. But nature is a vicious bitch to people who deny reality. She just is, always has been, and always will be. And if if you if you believe that the tiger is a good pet, then you're going to get mauled and eaten. And if you believe that the grizzly bear, it's great if you pick up and cuddle the the cub of the the mama grizzly bear, well, then she's going to go all kinds of Sarah Palin on you. And so people who, like, when when you reject and deny reality, nature cleans you out. It's like Europe is is going for the biggest fucking Darwin Award in history. (laughs) Literally. And so when you, when you deny reality, when you deny the basic elementary aspects of reason and evidence, 
you get wiped out. This, this happens repeatedly throughout history. You know, when, when there is storms of war gathering and people turn to peace and distraction and anxiety and avoidance and cowardice, boom, in comes Genghis Khan and all you are is a bloody smear on his still beating hoof prints. This is what nature does to people and groups who deny reality. And much though I love Europe, and much though I love Europeans, and I am wound into its history, and have massive respect for its history, this is what happens when people who deny reality, even when it's staring him in the face, even when it's blowing the limbs off their fellow countrymen, even when they know that there's areas that they dare not go and that their police dare not go in their own country, even when more and more people are coming in to take away the money from their own children to be transferred to people whose ideology commands them to hate and subjugate them. When people deny reality, and animals too, when animals deny reality, they get wiped out. You know, there is a, a, um, I talked about this in the Gene Wars presentation. There's a virus, and the way that it works is it makes mice unafraid of cats. And that way it, it infects the mice, and then the mice is eaten by the cat, mouse is eaten by the cat, and then the cat transfers the virus somewhere else. That's how it works. The virus transfers by making the mouse unafraid of the cat. Well, leftism is a virus that is making Europeans unafraid of Islam. Despite all history, despite everything that has happened between the East and the West for 1,400 years, leftism is infecting Europeans in the same way that this other virus infects mice. It makes them unafraid. They get eaten up, and that's how it spreads. Because leftism has an authoritarianism and a puritanism and a political correctness and a verbal abuse viciousness that is directly mirrored in Islam. Leftism is about subjugation, and Islam means submission. Leftism is about screaming verbal abuse at people and destroying their lives until they comply. I'm not sure I can see how Islam is exactly on the opposite side of that scale. So the left, and, and people find this confusing, are feminists, why aren't they against Islam? It's because they're both manifestations of verbal abuse dictatorships. And they both have as much rationality in terms of theology. I saw a picture today on the internet. Pretty sure it wasn't photoshopped. And it said, lesbians and gays against Islamophobia. <laughs> yeah. How nature is going to let that gene pool survive is utterly beyond me. Lesbians and gays against Islamophobia. Now, for those who don't know, I mean, they, they, ISIS comes in, and if they find someone they even think is gay, they'll just throw him off a tall building, and he'll, like, a watermelon off Dave Letterman's roof, he just splatters, dead, kill, kill them outright. Uh, it's, I believe it is still a either significantly prison-based or capital offense to be gay in Saudi Arabia. Lesbians and gays against Islamophobia. 
Yeah, I'm guessing you don't see a lot of uh, gay pride parades or something like that in the Middle East, uh, you know. Well, you do. It's just that the gays have no heads. <laughs> Is their mascot the silhouette of someone flying off a building? I... <laughs> <laughs> With their arm doing that uh, Castro Obama salute that just like that basketball dunk of cuckiness that happened in, in Cuba. Oh, that's a whole other thing. We don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> But no, listen, I mean, lesbians, and I don't mean to keep repeating this, but this needs to sink into people that when you're as a culture and as a society, Islamophobia is just a made up word. Phobia is an irrational fear of something. Yeah. Phobia is an irrational fear of something. Um, to my life, fundamentalist, theocratic, dominant Islam is a mortal danger. It's not an irrational Lionophobia. Uh, I I have shark eating my leg. Ophobia. It's like no, like even this made up word, Islamophobia. Mm. It, it, it's a completely made up word. There's no evidence for it. It's just a made up word that people. Oh, you're xenophobic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, if people are interested in multiculturalism, they need to look and see how Islam treats minority cultures. Well, convert or die or be subjugated and pay ridiculous amounts of tax. I mean, this is – if people are into multiculturalism, they should have significant problems with Islam, which itself has no interest in multiculturalism. I mean, it's so, so we've gone so far down the rabbit hole of deep fucking madness, of, of like seriously deranged – they'll look back and, 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 and won't believe – how we didn't end up touching, uh, brushing our teeth with our cars. We're so insane. Mm. We've gone so far down this rabbit hole of conformity to the insanity, sadism, and verbal abuse, in this case of the left, that like all species that drift too far from reality, we either snap back to reality or nature is going to wipe us out. Nature is going to wipe us out. Have you ever had this thing where you, you drink some milk? Or I, I love milk, right? You drink, you drink some milk and it's like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, maybe I just ate something that in my mouth doesn't quite agree with milk, but I don't know if that milk's a little funky or maybe it was left out on the counter for a while and then put back in the fridge or something. Now, I'm very much one for spit it out, throw out the milk. It's not worth it, right? <laughs> but, you know, when your milk is sliding down into your gullet in big meaty whale blubber chunks and there are beetles and 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 rats in it and you're like ah i'll just uh, you know i'll swallow it my stomach will take care of it well then you're so stupid at that point that nature and bacteria you're done mm. and and this it's going to come down to this question for uh for europe uh which is are you going to wake up or are you going to submit i have hope I hope it's not just hope. <laughs> I have some. There, there is some examples in history of Europe desperately undoing its cockiness in its moment of need. You know, obviously, Chamberlain to Churchill was the big was the big transition. And there's been other times where, you know, whether Donald Trump is going to represent one of these turnarounds, I don't know. But it's all coming down to this, and it is because you know we got this whole presentation called the death of reason, where we talk about why people don't reason, why they don't make sense, why they don't mm. listen to to reason and evidence. But fundamentally, it just comes down to bullshit cowardice. And you know, like a, there was a, I just finish up with this because I got to get onto the last caller, and I really, really appreciate your call and, and sympathize with your 
your situation enormously. And and please, you know, just work to keep bringing reason and evidence to people because uh, that's the only hope. I mean, that's the only hope is that when people are shocked into some kind of waking up, that at least they're waking up facing in the right direction. So I hope you'll keep up with that. But um, somebody was saying, you know, oh, my friends, that you know, they, they, they don't want to listen. And it's a little bit like they don't want to, they just make up excuses and they put up these ridiculous defensive false dichotomies like, oh, Muslim. And he, he said, what do I do? And I said, well, it almost seems like a shame that we have to save civilization even for those who've proven themselves unworthy of civilization. But the only way to do it is to look at most people like toddlers. And, and intellectually, it's, it's hard to avoid that perspective if you have reason and evidence and you're willing to subject yourself to the dictates of facts, reality. What makes sense, what is, what has been before, what will come based upon the momentum of what has been before. It's hard not to look at people as as idiots. You know, like my daughter likes these um, funny videos, sort of family funny videos. We were watching one the other day and it was a whole sequence of kids who were like, I don't know, six or eight months old and and they pick up like a ladybug and the ladybug's crawling around and it looks like a candy on legs. You know, it's like nice uh, red and little black spots. And and everybody knows what comes next, right? It's that the six-year-old puts the ladybug in its mouth. And then the parents are all like, ah, <laughs> try and pull the ladybug. And the big kids, do, you have to be around kids. I mean, babies will try and put everything into their mouth, right? You have to be around and, you know, put things into plugs and, you know, they'll see if they can fly downstairs, you know, and you have to be around, you have to take care of them. And, and if you view the average person as a responsible, mature adult, then you, my impulse is, okay, just let them, you know, let them have what's coming to them, you know, like uh, you see a lot of this, particularly frustration that men have uh, with regards to, um, to women, uh, how frustrated it is. Like uh, there was one right here. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one right here that I, I bookmarked uh, just in case this topic came up. Somebody wrote, uh, you know, we did a conversation with a great woman. Uh, why feminists hate men? And this guy said, chivalry is dead. Women killed it and they wanted to. Women are getting the gynarchy they wanted. The damage done to the relationship between men and women on an individual and societal level is beyond repair. There's no going back. Women won the unwarranted war declared on men by second wave feminists because men refused to enter it. Third wave feminism is just mopping up the remnants. Women are getting exactly what they wanted. What did they expect? MGTOW, men going their own way, is rising. MGTOW till death. And this is not particular to women. This is just for people as a whole. If you view everyone as some sort of mature, responsible adult, then the fact that they avoid reason and and uh, take the coward's way out and and attack you if you startle them with facts and so on, well, you're basically going to say, okay, well... Go do your own thing. You're responsible for yourself. And then that's, that's how civilization will end. I mean, this isn't civilization will end. Now, if on the other hand, you say, well, most people are just overgrown toddlers with um, something that um, I read years ago from Carl Gustav Jung. And he said, um, most parents are basically overgrown children, barely out of childhood themselves. And if, if you view the majority of people as toddlers and thinkers need to baby-proof reality, 
well, then you don't get angry when they put the bug into their mouth. It's kind of your fault, you know, for letting them be around the bug, right? Because they're toddlers. And so the only way to save civilization is to downgrade your expectations of the mental capacities of those around you. Most people will run a thousand miles rather than be startled by a single fact they find uncomfortable. Most people retreat into conformity and fear and paralysis and subjugate themselves to the strong man who comes along. Sorry, go ahead. It's, 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 it reminds me of uh, Plato's cave. Uh, you have... You, you need to want to leave the cave and, and some people just go back and flee inside the cave because that's easy and it's all they know and uh, the outside of the cave is like uh, reality and facts and evidence. Well, and except, except, except that the, the cave is, is hard to get out of and it's distracting. These are the people, like they literally can be picking body parts off their chest saying, well, not all Muslims, all right? That's the degree of, of unreality that most people are living. And this is not the general tendency of Western history, at least not in the 19th century and early parts of the 20th century. There was a stronger dedication, and there's strong arguments that intelligence was far higher uh, back then, just based on reaction time tests as well as uh, general uh, exams for, for kids and so on. So m most people, uh, I would argue, and, and I've had a lot of experience with this, it doesn't mean I'm right, I'm just telling you sort of where it's accumulated evidence of a lot. Of interactions, but um, most people, um, when when faced with information that is uncomfortable for them, they um, they run away, and if you pursue them, they'll turn and attack you. That 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 they're like, like rats, right? I mean, rats will run away, but if you corner them, they will attack you. And so, people, you show them a fact they don't like to hear, and they will run away. And if you follow them. And, and corner them, then they will turn and attack you. And they have literally become like facts. It's like, it's like you're chasing somebody who's got a deadly allergy to bee stings. It's like you're chasing them with a hive over your head, yodeling. Facts that we've become so constituted in the West, for the most part, that, that we have become, it seems like we have a, developed a deadly allergy to reality. Yeah. And this is why people uh, just wish themselves out of reality. And nature says, okay, fine, you can wish yourself out of reality. Then I'll wish you out of existence. Or I'll, reality will push you out of existence. You can chase, you, you can go off into unreality. You just, biologically, you won't come back. Because all who deny reality fail fundamentally and biologically. So the only way that I, you know, I, I, I've spent, you know, 30 years reasoning evidence and, and, you know, even among communities where I had a great deal of traction and success, you know, I talked to libertarians about spanking and race and IQ and, and, and borders and the need to maintain a conversation and having child-friendly cultures around you rather than child-hostile cultures so that you can have conversations with high IQ, non-traumatized people where they're capable of processing reason and evidence. And I talk to people about, you know, the value of Donald Trump is that he's going to smash down the media so we can actually have a rational conversation without this endless torrent of leftist verbal abuse destroying our capacity to, to hear and speak. Like, yeah, I make all these arguments and you know, does it really matter? No, they've got their own particular prejudices. They're no more rational in, in many fundamental ways than any other community. You go to atheists who say, uh, you know, irrational collectivist entities like deities should not be followed or accepted to exist. Ah, the exact same arguments apply to the state, don't they? No! 
no, I'm from the communist, I worship the state rather than God as a direct competitor to my totalitarian fantasies, or I'm from the left, or whatever it is, right? So this uh, this um, seemingly, you know, oh, I have this little spot of reason in common with people, I'm sure it must... <laughs> no, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. And so we just have to look at, um, I think we just have to look at the majority of people as kind of confused, kind of silly, kind of foolish. We do have to do the work to save civilization because that's where we want to live and that's where we want our kids to live. And we have to save them too. Um, I'm not saying it would necessarily be my first choice, but it is something that's part and parcel of uh, saving the world is you have to save all the idiots who are fully committed to your destruction. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, what, what what, what is our other choice? Yeah. All right, listen, man, i got to move on to the last caller, but um, I hope that you'll keep up the good fight, and, and I appreciate you calling in, and my, you know, my very deep sympathies to you, your friends, your family, and even to the cucks who, uh, who want all of this stuff to continue. Uh, <laughs> my, my deep sympathies to you all. All right, uh, Stefan, uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, well, up next is Lewis. Lewis wrote in and said... I spent time thinking about education and the double-edged sword that the act of education can either be revolutionary or tyrannical, depending on what side you're on. The question of free speech in a state-sponsored union is an interesting topic, since these state-sponsored unions have taken free speech all the way to the Supreme Court. Why are state-sponsored unions as hostile and vindictive as they are? Are the same union people part of the state-run system that I am fighting a monopoly of political power? Since when did I give up my constitutional rights when I work as an agent for the state-run schools? That's from Lewis. Well, how you doing? Hello? Are you there, Lewis? Yeah, sorry about that. I muted myself. Um, no problem. Thank you for having me on. I'm a, a big time fan of yours and uh, i find your words very enlightening and it's a great and thank you for your patience i know it's been a long show so i I really Uh, really appreciate your patience uh, waiting to get on i wouldn't be a teacher about it um so my i I know my question is very long-winded and um over the past year i've been following you heavily um and you have made several comments and um in your perspective of education um is something that i i agree with um, a little background of myself, um, I've been, I graduated, born and raised in New York. Um, I graduated from the New York City school system. Um, I am also a teacher for the New York City school system and uh, about now since 2001. And uh, so it's, uh, it's been quite a trip and quite a ride. Um, to say the least, part of me feels that you know I'm a product of the state. I'm a product of the system. Um, all of these, uh, the the conflicts and challenges that many children, um, in a, I guess uh, a uh, petri dish of of races and cultures and and classes and uh, ideologies. Um, I'm very grateful that I've grew up around that. Um, I grew up in a place called Storia, Queens, where um, it was a very hodgepodge of different uh, people, um, primarily because we were next to the airports and whatnot, so you had an influx of new waves of immigrants over the years as I grew up. And uh, 
what made me uh, become a teacher, especially for uh, the state, um, as many people, you want to try to save the youth and you want to be there and be a figure um, in their life. Um, so I guess my uh, crux to all of this was I found myself at a meeting uh, recently when the Friedrichs versus CTA uh, case was being argued in the Supreme Court. And um, oh, this is the uh, this is the people we had on the show recently. Yes, yes, and, yeah, I had yeah. and they're, they're trying to to um, uh, to make the union dues that go towards political contributions voluntary uh, right. and some other things as well. But uh, that that was their goal and plan, right? Yes, it was. And I mean, it, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with all of the the arguments. I mean, any time that uh, religion is meddling in the affairs of of this of uh, speech, you know, I, I question that motive as well because uh, I find that I, I, I sometimes find myself conflicted. Am I brainwashing these kids according to what the state wants versus uh, where can I kind of, what I, what I call for the lack of a better term, the Howard Stern line where, where can I push, 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 push the curriculum to enlighten my students on the realities of what's going on out in the street and what are you sorry what what are you teaching the kids that that you have um i teach uh, concern about i've i teach government i teach u.s government um i teach uh economics um i've been doing that consistently for the last 10 um i've taught world history and i've taught um and I would love to teach. No, I, I'm not talking about the topics. I'm talking about the subjects. Uh, oh, um, in terms of the content, well, what is it that you're teaching? Are you teaching the children stuff that goes against what you believe? Um, in government, um, what I found is that they've been trimming. Believe it or not, they've been watered down the curriculum to the point where, like, I would teach about my government course. I would teach about free will. Um, you could not talk. You know, you cannot teach a course. Um, without um, demonstrating the power of free will and how free will has, is a fundamental uh, part of the DNA of freedom and, and liberty and being uh, a, of an individual. And when you look at the curriculum, um, it's nowhere to be found. Um, it's, it's, as, it's as this cookie-cutter approach of, you know, here is government, these are the, the foundations of it, here's the principles of it, and there's no room for discussion of free will and philosophical, uh, political philosophies that um, I force my, myself to do. If I were non-tenured, I'd be out of the building a long time ago. But because I have that protection, um, I, I take advantage of that, and I find that um, I plug these in as much as I can. So okay, so so hang on a sec. So sure. so you're getting um, you're doing some good work through tenure, right? Yes, yes. But I'm sure you know better than I do, more viscerally <laughs> than I do, the number of teachers who are doing crappy teaching because they have tenure and they can't get fired. Um, that is that is a a uh, an uh, an evil of of tenure. I mean, anything that's absolute, an absolute power. 
we all know it corrupts absolutely. And, and unfortunately, um, this is the other part of, of unionization where do we become, do, where do you draw the line and police yourself? Um, is there any incentive to police yourself. Um, I also am the union leader at my building, and and what's happened is um, you become castigated if you, heaven forbid, disagree with the with the company line. And I'm talking about the union politics of it, which can get very ugly, very nasty. I'm what, sorry. What is the uh, what is the company line? Um, the company line is. Um, for instance, um, if you disagree with paying union dues, um, you become, I've been told I'm a freeloader if I disagree with that. Um, if I bring up why is it that um, the union president earns, you know, approximately $300,000 a year, wouldn't that person be in solidarity per se and earn the same salary as the contracted and negotiated? Or whereas if you ask why did you endorse Hillary Clinton or, you know, uh, or William Thompson or any of these candidates that you not totally 100% disagree with, the whole room turns on you. Um, I mean, in a nasty way. Um, to the point where if you're a union leader, um, you better hope that you uh, don't get blacklisted in that circle and they cut you off politically and, and in terms of support for the chapter. So it's a very, very cutthroat um, business uh, uh, with teacher unions. And uh, if you dig a little bit in the history of teacher unions, um, one of uh, the uh, pioneers, per se, of New York City uh, unionization of teachers is Albert Shanker. And when you look back in the story of Albert Shanker, born and raised in uh, New York City, and actually grew up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, he a lot of the things he says are totally the opposite of what you see today. He looked at uh, neighborhoods, um, the issues of racism as, you know, OK, you have racism, but why are we picking niche groups and uh, not looking at poverty as a whole and solving poverty and not the specifics of the people and having all of this fragmented arguments within each of these neighborhoods. Um, he also looked into charter schools. Um, he felt that charter schools were uh, actually useful. Um, but today, all of those ideas have been thrown out the window. Um, if you go and visit the I mean, gypsies also don't really have anything to do with religion. In any of his ideals in any of the of of these major uh, social issues in the city of New York, and uh, it's disturbing because one one there is no mechanism in place for it. It mimics the monopoly of what the state has over of of education. Yes, you have private schools. Yes, you have homeschooling, but you're still bound to the state curriculum, and. As a footnote to that, I mean, if you look at education, this is where I thought it would be the winner of, of, of the state within it, the, the ideology, the political structure, the, the, the mechanisms of how you control people. Um, those who are in power control education. And that's why you're seeing this radical shift in uh, group work. I mean, when you look at the mechanics of a classroom these days, um, it screams socialism. It screams communism. It screams this collectivist idea where you 
for me as an educator and as a researcher of education and cognition, you start to see groupthink all over the place. You start to see the student who obviously has a lower IQ than the student next to them just saying yes, 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 yes. And they're not even critically thinking. And it's not to say that they're not, but it's that they will critically think on their own. But when you place that student among other students in a different group, you start to see uh, a promotion of groupthink, of collectivism, that you can't think on your own if you don't speak and have it approved by the small group you're in. And that's dangerous to me because where do you, you're stripping away individualism. You're stripping away free will because now the state is pushing onto teachers if you don't have these students in groups, if you do not have a collaborative activity, if you don't think in a collectivist way, then you're a bad teacher. Shame on you. You should uh, have students uh, bow down to you know, the whims of the stronger uh, of the group. And to me, that's not what American education should be about. I mean, there is no greater tougher job than to create, than to sustain the American student or the student who is brought up live free, uh, you know, live free or die. Or, you know, you're, you're, you've, freedom means individual spirit. But then when you go inside the state-run school, do you see that? You know, if a student stood up and said, you know, F you teacher, you know, mister, I'm not going to do the pledge. Screw you. In my place where I work, student would be in trouble and we've had that but happen. sorry let me let me just ask you a sure, question because i mean sorry, you do seem to that's <laughs> no, fine you do you do seem to have some significant objections to the environment and the standards that you're being asked to put into practice yes so why um why don't you just do what i do i i i've i my I have to mention that um, in my where I work, I think we have the largest concentration of libertarians in probably all of the city of New York. And uh, this question, we were a lot of my colleagues will be listening in on this. They've told me that you would ask that, you know, well, why don't you, uh, you know, promote your own thing and start writing and start, you know, pushing your ideas out. And I yeah, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just sure. so people understand the context, I mean, like people, you know, constantly writing to me and saying, oh, dude, you should have your own TV show. It's right. like, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> I absolutely should not. And, if you know, if you're a producer out there and you want to offer me a TV show, <laughs> save your time. <laughs> save your time. There is simply no way that I would be able to talk about the things that I talk about on television. Right. And or if I had sponsors or if I took ads or yeah. like no way. Forget it. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, no disrespect to to Google and YouTube who obviously, you know, I use as my platform right. and all that. But, you know, they, you know, if you if you put out a risky video about terrorism in Iraq, they'll often will take the ads off it right. because they, d they don't want to get in trouble with the people who may or may not agree with your particular political stance and so on. So it's really tough if you're going to do challenging issues to rely on advertising or, you know, like, I mean, forget it. Why? This is this here where I the perfect venue, the perfect environment. I am unfettered in what it is that I want to talk about. Don't have to follow a curriculum. Don't have people who can threaten advertisers to, to shut me down. I mean, this is mwah, 
perfect. This is uh, Socrates in the marketplace talking with the people uh, who buy him lunch. Freedomainradio.com slash donate if you uh, <laughs> want to help out with that. Not you, but the uh, listeners. So, so I, you know, why, like, why would I, you should, you should have a radio show. <laughs> no, I, I, I shouldn't. I'm, it's it's almost like. Idea around. So you, you have the option, of course, to, to go out and talk about the things that you really care about directly to the people. And maybe you could do stuff for kids, you know, whatever it is. Maybe you could do stuff for young adults. Maybe you could do stuff for adults. But why would you want to be part of a government system, government environment, government union when you could uh, go out and live the voluntary values that you espouse? I mean, that's, this is the same for academics. Like, why on earth would you want to destroy your credibility to any clear thinking people by sticking around the Gollum style halls of academia when you could be out there living the free market values that you espouse by providing services directly to people without all of this interference? And so that's, you know, I've asked this question of other teachers. I've asked it of academics. Uh, and why, why wouldn't you? This is called living your values. You believe in voluntarism. Go out and bring your product directly to the people. Um, I will tell you this. Um, I wish that, you know, I had testimonials from my own students when they walk out of my class. And, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I know there's thousands of no, other... No, but sorry to interrupt. I know, I know. And because you're such a great teacher, why are you confining yourself to 20 or 30 kids when you could be, you know, teaching hundreds of thousands or millions of people um, around the world forever? You know what it is, um, Stefan? I, I, I think of it this way. An old colleague of mine who passed away long ago... Um, in my early part of my career, um, had put things in perspective that over a career of, uh, like now I'm in 15 years, um, I've probably have taught, uh, I want to say conservatively, about 4,000 um, individuals. And in the, my, lifetime, my lifetime in my career, I may push close to 10,000. And then if you think in the grand scheme of things, that may be a small town, a small village, um, you know, a small enclave. And the, the, the network, I mean, in the modern times that we live in, in social network and social, you know, network everything, the, the living network, um, there was a 10,000 kids that... Uh, that, you know, excuse me, you know, four or five, six thousand kids that may serve in the military with, you know, my thoughts in, my, in their mind. Oh, yeah. but, uh, dude. Yeah. So you're going to teach, what, 10,000 kids over the course of right. your life? Um, so my channel, uh, uh -huh. just, 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 just videos, 4.259 yeah, million. Yeah, I know. It's an amazing number. 20, 28 days. Not my whole <laughs> career. 28 days. And that's not counting more than that in podcasts. So 10 million, 10 million, 28 days. And you're telling me 4,000 over 40 years? Yeah, I mean, that just shows how effective uh, <laughs> the academic system is in this nation. But it's an amazing number, 4 million, and I get, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, but it's something about, you know, I can do both. I mean, I, I, not to say that I wouldn't uh, be open to that. Really? <laughs> you can do both. Hang on, hang on. If you do both uh -huh. and you talk about things that are startling, uh, won't kids find you and tell their parents and won't their parents complain? Oh, they, they, my students will be listening in on this episode as well. I mean, the more that, you know, the, I'm at the point in my career where, you know, my, 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 my desire to uh, bring awareness that of constitutional liberties and, and the, the free exercise of of, of freedom 
in this nation should never be lost. And and if that calls for me to push the limits, um, then so be it. But it's not even trying to be like a martyr for my own cause. It's just a matter of what's doing right. And what's doing right is if, if I have the ability to uh, affect one mind, then that's better than none at all. And I'm starting to see that in my in my teaching. I'm starting to see that with the generations of students that are coming in. And okay, and listen, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm getting the infomercial here, yeah, right? Sorry. So you're gonna you're gonna stay in the school system because you don't want to risk the internet, right? Um, I mean, that's what. I, let's just be <laughs> frank with each other. I, I don't need the travel log yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. I don't need. I don't need the. I'm just. Yeah. What I'm seeing is a bunch of text scrolling about how great you are, and this big flashlight in my face saying, "I'm not quitting." And that's okay. So if you're not quitting, you're not quitting. Even though, if you're into the free market and voluntarism, right. uh, being on the internet is is much more in line with your values and much more in line with personal freedom than what it is that you're doing. Right. So you want the security. And the pay and the pension and the health care or whatever it is, right? And look, I mean, let's just be honest. Is that that's where you want to be, right? That, hey, that's I where mean, you prefer. I mean, listen, if 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 the pay is there, you know, I, it'd be silly not to take the money on the table. But at the same time, um, there yeah, is – I'm at a point – are you saying that I was silly to quit my career to do what I'm doing? No, sir. And I think I, that's something that I admire. And I think that is something of a model for myself and for many others out there. Um, and it's a very powerful statement. And I get what you're saying that um, that there should be, you know, I should have to take the chance and use uh, the digital platform to that level like you have. And I, that's why I admire what you do. Um, and I've learned so much from your Truth uh, series, uh, Truth About series, um, that it, it inspired me. And that's why I'm, I'm a rabid fan of your show, um, because of that. And to see that being played out in front of me um, is something that after today uh, I should be more aggressive on um, with due time and, and the planning. But, you know, what really, what really, uh, freaks me out is you know which in the which what is the course of of american education um and the ugliness that comes about it you know when parents are we complain that parents aren't engaged i mean it's really a reflection of where our societies are and hearing like the previous callers and, and listening and to your show a lot um there is a common denominator, and, and I feel the common denominator is that if people are not educated to the game, they're not educated in like basic personal financial literacy, or they're not educated in basic civil rights, then they're going to complain. People are not, you know, they're going to not be aware of what their surroundings are, and they're just going to look at the constitution as just a piece of paper they're just going to look at their rights as some you know mystical thing that only happens to the few and we have to change that and i feel that if we can do it from within uh one by one and there are more and more teachers that are fed up and there there will be a a, a point where teachers will stand up and say enough. And that's what the Friedrichs case is doing. I'm telling you now, there are people in the union, when I asked uh, what provoked me to reach out to you, the night that this happened, um, I was literally in the back of the room. And the first thing that came out of the district reps' mouth was, 
this is not about free speech. And I'm looking around the room, and I, for a minute there, I had that Homer Simpson moment. I was like, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're a union leader, like, act like it. And I challenged the room. I was like, this is about free speech. You know, we don't have the ability to have academic discourse or disagreements without being blacklisted or being, you know, castigated or whatever, publicly humiliated. And I took a stand, and there were people in the room, I thought I'd be the only one. But there were people in the room that eventually, like, one by one started questioning, like, what do you mean this is not about free speech? What do you mean that it's, uh, that it's just about a negotiated contract? Yeah, there are a lot of frustrated teachers. I mean, as you know, a significant proportion of teachers quit in their first five years and find it kind of unbearable to continue. And I'm sure that union politics uh, has a lot uh, to do with that as well. Uh, but... Um, you know, when when it comes to, to how do you really affect and change people's thinking, um, the, 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 the first and most powerful tool of an educator is integrity and consistency with your values. Sorry, I can't really have consistency with other people's values. That was a bit redundant, but it is really um, when you, when you have the power of having convinced yourself through the empirical evidence of having lived your own values, then you become kind of unassailable in a way because you've already done it. Like if you've, if you've climbed over the mountain and seen the lush green valley and then climbed back and the people in the village you came from all say, well, that's that mountain, that's the end of the world. That There's nothing after that. Robot penguins... And then, okay, uh, robot penguins, mountain robot penguins, then nothing. And so, but if you've climbed over the mountain and you've seen the lush, fertile valley on the other side of the mountain, and then you've climbed back and people say to you, the mountain is the end of the world, you can say to them, it's not. I've been there. And I've come back to tell you, it's not the end of the world. There is a lush, fertile valley on the other side of that mountain. We don't have to go there. You can choose. But it's not the end of the world. And you, you say that with a kind of authority because you've been there. And when it comes to teaching people about freedom, when it comes to teaching people about independence and about the free market and about voluntarism, you will find, if you choose to live these values in your life as an educator, you will find that there is no substitute for having done it. There is no substitute for having lived in the free market when you advocate for a free market. There, there's simply no, no substitute for it because you're not speaking theoretically. You're speaking empirically. You're speaking with all of the true certainty of a lived experience. Now, that's an intangible thing. And I, you know, there's no, I don't think there's any way to manufacture that. I don't think there's any way to reproduce that absent the experience. It's sort of like saying, can you speak German without learning German? No, you can't. <laughs> you can make German sounding sounds. Uh, and, you know, maybe your sex robot will assume some really awkward positions, but uh, you can't, you, there's no substitute for having, like, if, if I want to go play violin in an orchestra, I have to go and actually learn violin. I can't just teach about violin theory and about how to make a violin and, and uh, the uh, etymology of the word violin. And like, I actually have to go and, and, and then once you've done it and you've lived it and people say, can you play the violin? Oh yeah, here we go. Right. I mean, there's no, 
There's no stress. There's no strain. You've lived the values. And particularly when it comes to moral values, you have to live those values. Like I always said, you know, long before I had a kid, uh, even on this show, you know, parenting is, is a lot easier if you're, if you're nice and you don't need uh, aggression, you don't need violence, you don't need abuse, you don't need timeouts, you don't need any of that stuff. And it's true. It's perfectly true. It's all validated. So now when I say it, it's not just a theoretical thing like this is the non-aggression principle applied to a theoretical childhood. But now my daughter is seven years old. Uh, we have a glorious uh, relationship. Uh, she is huge amounts of fun. And uh, I look forward to just about every moment that we we spend together. And so now, like when I talk about peaceful parenting, eh, before it was theoretical and it had compliance with the non-aggression principle and so on. But now it's just an empirical fact. And, and you know, people, oh, you've got an easy child. It's like, nope, didn't have that either. <laughs> she was not a sleeper at all. And she's very, very strong-willed. <laughs> it's a mystery. But um, so if, if you want to stay where you are, then you will give people the theoretical knowledge of an environment you don't want to live in. Like the, the free market voluntarism and, and being outside the power and control of the state as much as, you know, you can be uh, within the restrictions still within free speech. So that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm not here to sort of, you got to go do it. You know, I'm just, I'm telling you what the rational consequences yeah. are of not doing it. That you will have less effectiveness, uh, that people will listen to you in a theoretical way and won't apply it in their own lives because you are living it in a theoretical way and not applying it in your own life. You know, if you, if you want people to, if you want people to choose your diet, you've got to be slender, right? And, and you may have a good diet, but if you're 300 pounds, people aren't going to like, they're going to say, well, if you've developed this diet, you've either followed it, in which case it's a bad diet because you're 300 pounds, or you've developed this diet that's supposed to be really good for you, but you've not even followed it for yourself, in which case, why would I bother? So you can have discussions about diets, but, you know, think of two fat people on a bench talking about diets, and they're 50, and they've been dieting for 30 years. You know, it, it's not, you yeah. know, <laughs> nothing's going to change. It's just, you know, they just like talking about diets. And that's how I view a lot of people when it comes to uh, the actual uh, mechanics and, and will of achieving true liberty in their own lives, um, you do have a choice. And it look, I'm telling you, as you know, it's a really horrible, difficult, nasty choice, which is, okay, well, I've got these values, the free market, voluntarism, and so on. So I could go out and try and do it. I might succeed. I might fail. Whereas here, I have, you know, my guaranteed government cheddar rolling in uh, <laughs> every day. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to ask you, obviously, to make that decision here and now. But I think that you need to be ruthlessly honest. You know, everything is permitted with, with honesty. It, that's my... Mm -hmm. It's not a moral principle or anything, but mm -hmm. um, uh, I honestly strangled that. But, you know, uh, our choices that are not, you know, foundational moral choices. I mean, I think there's moral elements to this choice that, that you face. But if you're really honest with yourself and you say, well, I like talking about the free market. I don't really want to go and risk it. I, I think other people should. Um, I, I think that we should minimize government, just not the government I'm attached to, right? I mean, that, that's all fine, but just you just need to be really honest with with yourself uh, about that. And uh, sorry, I'll, I'll give you the last word. Oh no, and I just was curious about what your what you your thoughts should be about working with Finn, and as an agent of change. I mean, with every with every movement and every uh, uh, human movement, there has to be some point where 
the state has become so powerful that you have to work from within. I mean, if you cross reference to what, you know, other groups, uh, hang on, uh, I'm sorry. not, I'm not working. I'm not working from within. So you might be preaching to the wrong gotcha. choir here. Yeah. But I'm just curious as to what, you know, is there ever a point where people will have to kind of like climb the wall, go inside and kind of work from within to implode it? Or is there something that, you know, I'm not seeing that would be useful to uh, overcome these big megaliths of, of state power. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, there's a pretty, pretty easy way to, to figure this out. If tomorrow you could wake up and have the same income, but be reaching a hundred times more people, setting your own schedule, working on your own projects, on your own time, would you do that or would you continue to do what you're doing? Like if if you if they're guaranteed, I would definitely reach as as to a larger audience than I have now. Okay, uh, so so for you, it's not about working from within or not. For you, it is um, you you like the money and look. And again, I'm not diminishing that. You you have responsibilities. You have bills. I don't know whatever, right? Yeah. But um, but but if if you would rather have the money with independence and conformity with your values, but you're not choosing that, it's because you'd rather have this money. Right. And so you, you, you're, you're for sale. And you know, I don't mean to be blunt and look, we all, we all make compromises in this area, yeah. but you're for sale. And the price is the money and benefits that you're getting the bird in the hand versus maybe the zero or two in the bush you could get by spreading out on your own. Uh, that is, um, that is where you are. Cause if you'd rather be doing something online or, or again, this is, could be yeah. start your own school, who knows, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you'd rather be doing something online, but you're concerned that you won't make the money, that's then just be honest about that. Because if, if it's such a great value of working from within, then if I said, okay, well, you make exactly the same money online, but you'd have the independence and you'd be able to reach a lot more people, your stuff would be around forever. And you say, well, I'd rather do that. Then it's not about working from within, right? I mean, there's a security yeah. where you are that uh, I, I recognize and understand and, and sympathize mm -hmm. with. You know, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I, God, I mean, the, the, I was making $160,000 a year mm -hmm. uh, before I walked away to do this stuff and giving up my entire career, which, you know, I mean, obviously I was, um, I'd been working on it for decades because I started programming computers when I was 11 years old, yeah. uh, back when you had to fit your assembly <laughs> code into 2K of RAM. Yeah. So uh, it was it was tough. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm there and I had some sleepless nights and uh, it was a really tough to make that decision. And it was alarming. And, and I'm very glad, of course, that I made the decision. Uh, so I'm, you know, I sympathize. I sympathize. Uh, but for me, it just came down to, okay, well, how am I going to be a best service to the world? And, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, is there anything you'd like to add? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just pondering, uh, the two months of paid vacation I gave up and my amazing health benefits to join a donation based philosophy show in the middle of a giant recession. And then the host gets sick six months into working on it. And, um, you know, you know, just, uh, sacrifices, well worth making at the time. Glad I made them, but uh, you know, certainly, certainly put my doesn't always feel that way. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, glad I made them. Well, I thank you for having me on your show, and and again, um, if it's anything, you're one of the best minds I've I've ever encountered, and I'm very grateful and fortunate to uh, have crossed your path, and I look forward to hearing a, a lot more from you uh, for the time to come. And I hope I get I invited again. I appreciate your uh, I appreciate your words from Mike. Do you have anything to add 
to to me or <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Th- thanks, thanks a lot. I really appreciate yes. the call, and uh, you know, keep us posted yeah. about what it is you're doing. If you do decide, uh, Lewis, to end up uh, on the internet side of things, let us know, and we can help publicize what it is that you're doing. Yes. Uh, but I really, really appreciate the call, and uh, you know, my best to your students and to your fellow teachers. Thank you. You have a great night. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. And thank you, everyone, so much for, as always, a fantastic, powerful, emotional roller coaster of a road. Uh, of a ride of a show. I laughed. I cried. Um, didn't feel like a kid again, but that I'm sure will come next time. And uh, yeah, little point for those people who seem confused as to why I do different voices. Uh, it's because I have multiple personalities. No. Uh, the reason I do different voices when I'm doing a show, um, when I'm doing a presentation, when I'm, it's, it's simply this, that uh, st- still more people listen to the podcast than watch the videos. And when you're listening to the podcast, you can't see the quotes. And I don't want to do this start quote, end quote. It all kind of blurs together in with my, and it's not as, as, as easy to process when different people are speaking uh, if I'm doing quote, end quote, and so on. And since they can't see the presentation, they need to know who's speaking when it's not me, when I'm quoting someone else. So I'll use a voice. Uh, and, you know, I'm sorry if the voices are bothersome to you. They're not that necessary when you're looking at the PowerPoint presentation, but it, it is important for the people who are just listening that they know what are my words and know what are other people's words. So I just wanted to mention that because there seems to be some confusion about it. Plus, you know, I did go to theater school and damn it, I'm not going to waste that money. Although maybe that money was wasted anyway. So your Marco Rubio voice has gotten incredibly high marks, I must say. Well, it's got incredibly high pitch, too. Uh, the, 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 the trick with the Rubio voice is putting on those Ken doll uh, potty high-heeled cowboy boots. Uh, the, the getting, you know, getting those onto my feet, uh, well, it's like wearing a condom for me. Anyway, it's not... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry? Think foam party and wasting money. Wasting lots of billionaires' money. Then, then you got Marco Rubio right then. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I appreciate uh, um, uh, everyone's feedback about this and all the other shows. And uh, thanks, of course, for those who um, have found value uh, in the shows that uh, Mike and I put together regarding the Paris attacks. And if you haven't watched them, um, uh, I strongly uh, uh, recommend that you do uh, go and, and watch them. Uh, of course, um, uh, it is what pisses me off about the Brussels terrorist attack and the truth about the Brussels terrorist attacks and um i hope that you will go and watch them uh, and and share them because i think it's important information so freedomainradio.com slash donate uh, to help out the show and uh, fdrurl.com slash amazon uh, if you'd like to uh, toss us a few shekels over the affiliate link wall and uh, have yourselves a wonderful wonderful week please remember to like share and subscribe this show fdrpodcast.com freedomainradio.com youtube.com slash freedomainradio uh, please make sure that you get this information out there. Uh, it's not just a matter of it's a cool show. It's a great show, which it is. I think it is an essential show uh, and one of the few in the world. So really, really do your best to share. Um, if you've got to create an anonymous account, that's okay by me. Thanks a million, everyone. Have a great, great week. We'll talk to you soon.